SEP Fanfic Readings presents Measure of a Man by In a Days 22. Chapter 31 The Passenger Seat. October 7, 2011. Fatigue riddled Hermione's very being. Beyond mental or physical, it was the sort of exhaustion that tugged at her eyelids, leaned on her heart, and made every movement heavy until proper solace was found. Eventually, she always stopped fighting, closed her eyes, and let herself rest. No matter where she nodded off, the sofa, a chair, or while sunning with Scorpius on cool days with warming charms, Hermione always woke in a bed with the ever-present ache in her chest, covered in Draco's blanket, and completely disoriented. But not always alone. Sometimes Andromeda or Pansy was there, or Susan, or Padma on days when she slept too long. But today, Scorpius stood next to her bed, with everything except his face draped in the blanket he now called his. After her coughing fit, the remnant of lung damage that would take time to heal, he shuffled to the edge, dragging the cotton blanket along. She wondered how long he'd been there, but she never asked, only lifted the covers in invitation. He abandoned his blanket and joined her while Hermione debated a second nap after he settled on her pillow, blinging at her. With her good hand, she brushed soft hair from his forehead. Her touch was feather-light, lingering on his brow. "'Did you have fun in the garden with your grandmother and Mr. Neville?' Scorpius dimpled just a bit. He'd enjoyed himself. "'Did you say hello to the plants for me?' "'Yes.' The lack of hesitation in his single-word response meant he was in what Hermione affectionately thought of as his talking mood, which was becoming rather normal." Normal after time with the potters when his cheeks were ruddy from running after a toy snitch. Normal after his father read each note Scorpius pulled from his pocket, some old, one new, but each meaningful. Normal after a day in the garden pulling weeds or digging up potatoes, which was another new normal for him. The habit had started one day when Narcissa excused herself to meet Neville. Scorpius had perked and asked with his hands to go. They had all been surprised. But Draco agreed so long as Catherine accompanied them, and he'd gone each day since. While Neville and gardening had been part of his initial draw, perhaps it was now driven by the promise of one-on-one -on -one time with his grandmother in a place he found peace. The change between Narcissa and Scorpius was tenuous, but evident. Narcissa smiled more, and seemed settled around him, relaxed even. And that morning, Scorpius, after much hesitation, had surprised them all when he'd approached his grandmother after tying his own shoes unassisted for the first time. He was proud of his accomplishment, and so was Narcissa. She told him so, possibly even for the first time, and the way he'd stared at her, smile fading slightly, turning earnest, meant he'd believed her. It was the moment Hermione released her worries of him retreating back into himself, but also the moment she truly thought about resilience, of a child, of people of herself. Scorpius still hadn't spoken to another adult, nor was he ready. He'd whispered a confession before bed last night that he wanted to, and Hermione assured him that when he was ready, everyone would listen. For now, she worked on his confidence during their quiet talks, and eased his nerves by praising each verbal milestone. Draco remained steadfast in earning his son's trust, while Narcissa remained silent on the matter altogether. She seemed at ease with the bond they were forming. Scorpius was communicative in private, controlled spaces with little to no chance for interruption. Simple, single-word comments were his favorite. But three days ago, 
He'd paced his dad's office for twenty minutes on the edge of tears until Draco carefully excused himself. Scorpius had waited just a bit longer before pulling himself together to awkwardly ask for a hug and a story. They both froze. Before he could flee, she'd agreed to his first request, holding him close and murmuring into his hair that he never had to ask. The second request was honored a few minutes later, when he coddled at her side while Hermione told a story about the sun falling in love with the unfreeable moon who only was visible in the fleeting moments of dawn and dusk. Draco had returned for the beginning of the tale and stayed throughout. "'Are you the sun?' he asked hours later when they were alone. His hand traveled a familiar course up and down her back while she battled between grounding herself and flying away. "'Or are you the moon?' Neither. I'm Earth. Too tired to do anything more, Hermione closed her eyes and relaxed with the rhythm of his heart in her ear, and the slow rise and fall of his chest under the palm of her aching hand. Who are you? The moon. Untouchable to the lonely sun, but locked in an orbital dance with Earth. Held at arm's length by gravity. Hermione still thought about his response even now while looking at his son. Scorpius booped her on the nose, and they laughed together until it faded into sighs. "'Do you want to play the name game?' Blue eyes brightened. It was a game Hermione had started just the week before, to figure out what he called everything, and get him comfortable with answering small questions. Her smile grew when he'd scooted closer, waiting patiently for her to begin. "'Hmm. What do you call Albus?' Scorpius wore an expression that was very Draco. "'Albus?' Okay, that was a silly one. She laughed when he visibly agreed. Let's see, what do you call the plants in your dad's office? He didn't hesitate, but very slowly answered. Granger. What? Hermione turned her head and coughed more from surprise than anything. Why that name? Scorpius' shrug was as childlike as he sometimes was not. Daddy says it. Oh, now Hermione was curious. "'Your dad calls all the plants Granger?' "'Yes.' It must have sounded ridiculous to Scorpius because he giggled. Hermione felt warm, flushed even, from imagining Draco speaking to the plants. In her head he sounded every bit as posh as he was and looked irritated while pretending not to be under the watch of his son's eagle eye. Quintessential Draco Malfoy. Scorpius remained relaxed next to her, which was good, because she'd started the name game to build up to an important conversation that needed to be had about a certain name. "'And your name for me is Mum?' The little boy's eyes were open and earnest, his cheeks pink, and his nerves visibly building before he nodded slowly. "'Yes?' "'Is that what you want?' If at all possible, Scorpius blushed harder. His answer came out in a squeak. "'Yes?' "'Like your mum?' "'No!' His face shifted to an expression so sad it made Hermione ache for him. With him. Mummy was sick. She was. Hermione had to clear her throat. I never met her, but I do know a few things. She loves you and misses you. She wishes she were still here. I know. Scorpius looked a little sad, but nowhere near as morose as he had been. Daddy said so. Her heart lurched. Draco had kept his promise. Whatever you want to know about your mother. Does that make you feel better, when he tells you about your mummy? He nodded slowly. A knock on the door ended the conversation before either was ready. Come in. It was Catherine. 
Sorry to interrupt, but Mr. Malfoy stepped out for a minute to retrieve documents from the Potters and wanted to make certain you were awake in time for therapy. I am. Zippy has lunch ready for you. It took several minutes for her and Scorpius to make it downstairs. He led the way, but looked back after each step to make certain she was all right. Hermione still moved slowly. Her body was sore from both exercise and physical therapy, heavy with residual sleep, and ached from the cough that left her chest burning. By the time she was safely on the landing, Draco emerged from the flue with a stack of parchments. And a visitor. Albus. They made an incongruous sight. Draco was put together in all black, and Albus was messy in a red jumper and jeans with what looked like a fresh hole in the knee. His hair was an absolute mess, and his hands were probably sticky, given the way Draco frowned at his own hand when he let Albus go. Ever careful, Scorpius didn't walk over until he made eye contact with Hermione. I'm fine. Go on and say hi. Albus signed a greeting slowly and blushed when Scorpius fixed his fingers to show him the right way to ask if he wanted to paint. He tried it again, and then there were two boys side by side peering up at the long-suffering Draco. Hermione approached slowly. I didn't know you were bringing Albus over. The comment made the boy in question grin widen, carefree and pure, and she could see that his new tooth was nearly filled in. Mr. Draco said I could come play. I did not. But I'm here now. The way Draco's face fell when the validity of Albus's logic dawned on him made Hermione smother her laugh with a cough. A tiny one escaped when his son's best friend continued by proudly declaring, Mr. Draco says I'm his least favorite potter, so that means he likes me. Draco opened his mouth to correct him, but it was very clear that there was no arguing with the smiling child. Upon realizing this, he pinched the bridge of his nose and exhaled. Albus did the same in a playful yet mocking way, and Scorpius giggled so hard that Draco softened ever so slightly. "'Your dad is the funniest!' The comment made both Malfoys exchange looks. Scorpius tilted his head in question, almost as if he were trying to figure out if Albus's statement was true or false but then his smile morphed slowly into something content. He stepped closer to his father, who had reduced himself to their height, and signed a question. Can we paint, please? Yes, Draco signed the answer, too, which demonstrated just how much progress they had made in communication. Find Catherine to help set up your canvases. Albus all but dragged his friend towards the stairs. Scorpius looked back twice before he stopped and turned back to his father, who answered before his question could even be signed. I'll hang it on the wall. The promise sent Scorpius off with a pep in his step. Hermione's eyebrow was already arched when his attention shifted to her. What is it? Nothing. She offered a smile only for him and shifted her weight from one foot to the other, feeling a bit tired, but alert enough to ignore it for now. I wonder if you'll run out of space for Scorpius's artwork. I'll make room. Hermione had no doubt he would. You and Al are hilarious. He's annoying, Draco rolled his eyes. I dare say worse than his father. Yet you bring him over every day. If you must know, Granger, he follows me around like a shadow, constantly asking to come over until I say yes. Of course his parents find my disdain humorous. So did she. Hermione laughed at the visual while Draco continued to scowl even after she stopped. Admit it, you secretly like having him around. Draco did not admit anything. Refused to, in fact. He subtly sulked before placing the parchments on the table and drawing her closer, but not with words. 
The pull to his side only took the curl of one finger, and the intensity of watchful eyes that monitored each step. Hermione moved close enough to touch, something she only barely stopped herself from doing, while simultaneously wondering if Draco would soon excuse himself because he glanced at his watch. "'Almost time for your potions.' "'I know,' Hermione gestured to the vials next to the steaming bowl of soup on the table waiting for her. "'Lunch first. Therapy in half an hour. Physical therapy at two. "'I'm aware.' "'What are you doing this afternoon?' Draco remained awfully busy for someone on administrative leave, always in closed-door meetings and working late into the night after putting Scorpius to bed. Hermione tried to poke and prod him for information, or clues about what he was doing, but the worst thing about Draco was that he wasn't only stubborn, he was methodical, and had planned for each of her attempts to suss out details. He held steady with the same response each time, today included. We'll talk later. Cryptic, but almost normal. The corners of her mouth flattened as she started to huff and back away, but Draco didn't let her. He pulled her closer and wound his arms around her, resting his chin on the crown of her head. Something uncoiled in her, and the warmth of sensation set her on edge. "'Are you joining me?' Her question was purposely low, comfortably unsettled, just like her. "'Do you want me to?' He never let her answer. More specifically, "'What do you need?' This was the same question Draco gruffly asked before each therapy appointment, physical or otherwise. Most of the time, Hermione had no response, but today she placed her fist on his chest and slowly uncurled her fingers. The effort was evident in her sharp hiss of pain as she observed her trembling hand. Like each attempt before, worry struck like lightning, quick and dangerous. I'm restless, and therapy makes it worse, no matter how much I know I need it. Confessions like these rubbed her raw. It was too difficult to look at him in the eye, so she spoke to his chest. I wouldn't mind the distraction beforehand. Draco said nothing else as he led the way to the table. Hermione took her potions and slowly ate soup, while he updated her on the experimental potion he tried to work on in what little spare time he could find. Conversation stimulated her stagnant mind. Harry's arrival marked the end of lunch, and the rare snatch of time she saw him during the day secret meeting. Won't be one for long. Draco leaned over until his mouth hovered next to her ear. A finger curved under her chin, turning her head towards him. Focus on therapy. I'm handling the rest. Draco didn't kiss her, but her heart raced regardless. Therapy remained a mystery to Hermione. She began each appointment not knowing the outcome or how she would feel. The therapist also seemed out of her element in the unconventional location of their appointment. Due to security needs, the small sitting room off the main area had been converted into a meeting space. To ease them both, they began with conversational platitudes. The weather, the long week, the Quidditch match between Bulgaria and Spain neither cared about. Hermione tried to drag it out for the entire session, but her therapist gave her a knowing look over the rim of her glasses. A silent reminder that she knew every conversation avoidance tactic— Though Hermione hadn't been her regular patient in years, her habits and tendencies were memorable. "'What would you like to discuss today?' It was the worst question in existence, and entirely to blame for Hermione's difficulty in setting the course of a therapy session she was supposed to steer. Each attempt to divert to the point of these sessions, coping with the trauma of nearly dying and talking about the attack itself, brought her face to face with one of her biggest problems—her mother— 
or perhaps how easy it was to link a traumatic event to a relationship that had been in a state of crisis for years. One second Hermione was dreading the session, and the next she was spilling her frustrations and realizing her own faults in it all. The chime that ended the session left her with a spinning head and hurting heart as she stared into the face of the assignment she had yet to complete. Find true calm. Her therapist closed her book. Have you worked on that yet, Hermione? No, she hadn't. I'm still looking. Hermione usually found it in moments with people, familiar activities, and the quiet before bed. But things were different. Tranquility was more elusive now than ever before, and serenity seemed impossible to achieve. As days passed, and thoughts she'd set aside and buried were unearthed, her consciousness turned into an inexhaustible and restless minefield. She realized she was living a precedent. Not even after her seizure had she truly stopped like now. Back then, Hermione had bought a house and created a garden to regain her sense of self. Her first recovery had involved combining optimism for the future with acceptance of the past. There had always been something to tend to during the lulls. But now everything, even Draco, was in constant motion, revolving around her while she remained stagnant. Hermione had never been more frustrated in her life. It crawled up her spine, tightening that knot between her shoulders, unable to shake it, unable to put it out. The feeling spread and very little could deter it. Her assignment was more like a punishment. By the time she had her appointment with Susan later that afternoon, it felt as though the walls were closing in on her. When Hermione felt the first cramp, after pushing through a bout of fatigue during an exercise, she dropped to her knees. Susan was right there, guiding her to sit down and slowly massaging the muscle. "'You seem off today, more than yesterday.' Susan's approach to therapy was a mix of everything—exercises, stretches, goals, assignments, potions, and charms. Daily sessions were spent regaining her strength. Physically, there was nothing wrong. The muscles had been regrown, the bones fixed, and the skin mended. But her body was weak and easy to cramp. Her brain remained detached, unable to make the connection that she was no longer broken. It struggled to remember that she was whole. Alive. I'm fine. The look Susan gave was reminiscent of ones they all reserved for Lisa. I've seen the inside of your leg and put your fingers in my pocket for safekeeping. Try again. When put like that. I'm frustrated. The statement left Hermione feeling unmoored with nothing to reach for. I'm sick of the fatigue and the pain. I'm completely out of my element, and I feel like a stranger in my own skin. I've got little to no control over... You've been through significant trauma. Susan stopped her before frustration tipped into tears. I understand how you feel. It's valid. But at the same time, you could have died. That's not something you can easily move on from. I know. It was always a sobering thought. There's a lot going on, even if no one talks to me about it. I'm just not used to being useless. You're not useless. You're recovering, even if you're pushing yourself. Her friend's brown eyes narrowed into a glare. Don't think I don't know how much time you spend worrying about the state of your hands or pushing yourself to speed up your recovery. She squinted. Who told you? I don't need a specific account to know. It's who you are. Susan glanced at the door. But during his session, Malfoy did allude to the fact that you started joining him for water exercise. Hydrotherapy is good for the muscles without the strain or... And it has nothing to do with a certain man keeping you company, right? 
Susan snorted loudly at her affronted look and accompanying blush. I'm just giving you a hard time. Hydrotherapy is good, and we would be there now, but I don't swim. As aggressive as I am with therapy, I don't want you to overdo it either. Fifteen minutes of water exercises and fifteen minutes of exercises in here maximum, not a half hour of each. Susan folded her legs and offered her hand. Hermione knew what to do, placing her newly unbandaged wrist into her friend's palm. The bruises were gone, but her tremor was noticeable, as was her inability to hold any sort of weight. Once again, Hermione spread her fingers. Even with potions in her system, the pain hadn't fully abated, and neither had her fear of permanent nerve damage. Magic could heal a lot of broken things, but some damage could not be undone. I still believe it's psychosomatic. Susan touched the tips of each finger, focusing on their small, involuntary twitches. Are you doing the exercises I assigned? Yes. With Draco's help. Each morning, before Scorpius came down for breakfast— Sometimes she did them alone, but frustration always stopped her efforts, leaving her feeling overstretched and overwhelmed, sitting in the corner and telling herself to breathe. "'Can you feel this?' Susan began bending each finger slowly, then tilting her wrist. Hermione took deep breaths to stop herself from feeling dizzy. "'Talk to me and focus on what I'm doing, or you're going to panic and I'm going to have to shove a calming draft down your throat!' Hermione's following chuckle was ragged. It took time to gather her thoughts." I feel it. Increasing sensation did wonders for her nerves, but the tremor returned and conquered. The pinch of pain was jagged as it sliced up her forearm and into her elbow. Susan only observed. Hmm. Hermione didn't like the sound of that. What is it? It's too soon to say for certain if it's permanent. Susan summoned the sling Hermione hated wearing and helped her into it. Keep this on for the rest of the day. Remember what I said about the exercises. Don't overdo it. You can take an invigoration draft when you leave, but please allow yourself to rest. The fatigue leaves me no option. Hermione was a little irritated by the simple fact that her arm felt better the instant the sling was in place. Overall, there's not much I can do. I can't even read for very long because I get headaches and feel nauseous. For the hundredth time, you're doing too much. Susan's exhale sounded too much like Draco's about Albus. Long-suffering. "'When was the last time you went outside? "'And I don't mean in the garden.' "'I... security.' "'They had always been around, "'but now the aura presence in the area had increased. "'Hermione heard a small fraction of the whispers, "'paid attention to the clues gathered from those around her, "'and managed to get two bits of information "'from the sealed trap known as Draco Malfoy. "'He declined twelve requests for interviews about finding her.' and his internal hearing was only two hours before her summons on Monday to turn over her memories. The inevitable had been pushed back as long as possible. Besides, I can't use any form of magical transportation. I think you need a change of scenery. Might help you find the calm you're supposed to be looking for. Susan got to her feet and helped her up, keeping Hermione steady when she swayed. Tuesday? She raised a dark eyebrow. Or would you both like to keep ignoring the elephant in the room and continue separate sessions? The alternative would save me a lot of time keeping Malfoy updated. What? Hermione didn't know he'd been asking. Look, I won't say my opinion of him has entirely shifted, but... She gave a lazy, one-shouldered shrug. He's not what I thought. High praise from Susan, who voiced so few of her own opinions. Except about Lisa. Draco's been... Hermione found it difficult to put his behavior into words. Draco was both reassuring and critical, 
Distant, but attached in odd ways, she was beginning to find comfortable. He never hovered, only listened and observed indirectly. Whatever she needed appeared without question, which warred with her independent spirit and ideology. But there was a tiny part of Hermione that didn't allow her to outright deny the truth. She didn't exactly mind it. He supported you, and he still does, but he's also a bloody tyrant. Susan squeezed her hands into fists as if she were actively trying not to seek Draco out to strangle him herself. But then she huffed a laugh and completed her visual assessment. Hate to say it, but it's what you need while you recover. Probably beyond, too. Hermione rolled her shoulder as words stacked on top of all of her unearthing thoughts. Draco doesn't talk about finding me, or the week I was unconscious. In fact, he actively avoided each attempt and even left the room a few times until she finally gave up, at least for now. Nobody really does. Susan fixed her ponytail and made Hermione sit in a chair. She paced a bit before finally speaking. I might joke, but I hope you understand how difficult it was to see you like that. Hermione could tell she was choosing her words wisely. I know you want to know everything, because it'll make you feel in control. But we're still reeling. We'd just gotten Padma stable when Malfoy appeared with you. Your pulse was so weak we couldn't find one at first, not even through magical means. As soon as we got your airway clear and your vitals stable, the hallucination started and no one so much as exhaled until the poison was out of your system. Least of all, Malfoy. The explanation left her uneasy enough to understand Draco's reluctance. I will say Malfoy was the only one who knew everything you kept up with. He gave orders and didn't accept arguments. Naturally, Harry had to break things up a few times between him and Ron. Hermione could only imagine how that went. I don't think anyone knew you two were together. We're not? She shifted uncomfortably in her seat as another topic rose from the place it had been buried in her mind. I mean, we're in this in-between phase where a lot of things aren't spoken or official and the time isn't right. He's been... careful. Not to touch her too much or too tight. Not to look too closely at what would likely be permanent scars after the first night. Most of the bruises were beginning to fade. Cuts and wounds were healing. But not the ones around her neck. Those were slow to heal for unknown reasons. But Draco remained undeterred, rubbing salve on them each night and monitoring the progress when she couldn't, when it became a struggle to do so. Hermione appreciated the quiet sentiment, the steadiness and strength. She didn't have to ask for his help, or the glamour when she was around Scorpius. Susan let it down to look at the true state of her wounds. She made Hermione stand again in order to evaluate her right side, all scarred skin and irritated flesh. This is getting worse. Theo thinks it's a reaction to the potion we use to grow your skin. I'll look for options to help. How does it feel? It used to only itch, but now it hurts when the pain potion wears off. Hermione turned her head and coughed. It was dry and burned her chest, but she pushed through. The sap Draco uses helps temporarily, but my skin still feels strange. I know exactly which bits were grown. It's the same with my leg. I get phantom pains. They were like nightmares, sudden and unexpected. We're still looking for a solution, but for now, this weekend your assignment for me is to relax. No exercises in the pool or in this room. Take some time to reorient. How's therapy going? Hermione gave Susan a look which made her friend hold both her hands up in surrender. Touchy subject, I get it. Padma gives me the same look when I ask. She pulled down Hermione's shirt. 
I told Malfoy about your need for a free weekend during our last session, because I know how you are. The sulking look made Susan laugh until she sobered. Malfoy's a terror to deal with because of his inability to mince words, the way he looks and tends to talk down to people, and his refusal to compromise on certain things. With that being said, when you were hallucinating and incoherent, he took you seriously. He talked to you like you could hear him. Hermione coughed and looked down. I'm certain I could. Susan's sharp inhale before the exchange looks spoke volume. Bits of things. Nothing I can recall except Draco telling me to drink. The rest was harder to speak on. The flashes she could remember were memories and hallucinations that blended and bent reality until she didn't know if she was dreaming or awake. But the timer went off before anything else could be said, and while Susan packed up, Hermione couldn't help but think about what her friend had gone through. I hope you're taking care of yourself, too. The comment made the witch turn her head and snort. I have better coping mechanisms than you lot. I took yoga and meditation seriously, unlike you. The pointed look given was accompanied by a small gesture towards the mat they'd started the lesson on. Hermione had failed two minutes in. A record. If you must know, I harass the blokes in my fencing class and serve as a guinea pig to Hannah who wants to learn how to brew beer. Seeing you recover helps, but I have a lot of outlets. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. Her eyes traveled to the door. Pretty sure Narcissa Malfoy is out there pretending she's not waiting for you. Susan was right. Miss Bones? Miss Granger? Narcissa? The witch made a gesture, and before following, Hermione looked back as her friend waved while barely suppressing her amusement. Saxe met them at the stairs, and they went up. Hermione was incapable of ignoring Narcissa's eyes on her back, or the quiet encouragement from Saxe. The invigoration draft Saxe produced when they reached the top was a surprise. Hermione took it with little hesitation, feeling better instantly. It wouldn't last forever, but it would do for now. Narcissa excused herself with Saxe while Hermione walked on alone. Padma was waiting for her in the living room, dressed casually with her hair pulled back. The only physical evidence of her injury emerged from Padma's hairline and stopped at her eyebrow, a scar surrounded by irritated skin. It was surprising to see it on display, because Padma usually hid it behind a strategic part of her hair. Hermione didn't ask, only greeted her with a one-armed hug that seemed to ground them both. Good, bad, or in between? Padma sighed. My mum and aunt sobbed loudly when the beautification charm didn't cover my scar. So, bad? In between. Padma shrugged, a slow smile played on her lips. Parvati started yelling at everyone long enough for me to slip out unnoticed. Tea outside? It was something they did daily, so long as the weather held. At first they just held hands in silence while Scorpius colored or took tentative steps towards trying to catch the toy snitch that had been collecting dust in a toy box, until Albus's re-emergence in his life. But each day sparked more conversation that drifted from topic to topic. They learned more about each other than ever before, as the bonds of their friendship tightened through the healing process. To Hermione's surprise, Scorpius enjoyed Padma's visits. Like everyone before, their first meeting was full of scrutiny, and had nothing to do with the very noticeable scar, but rather a quiet awe because she'd commented about Mint standing straight unprompted. He'd offered his hand and she'd shaken it, not knowing just how big of a moment it was for him. They both smiled openly at each other. While unmemorable in the grand scheme of the day, the moment defined its significance after talking to Blaze, not because he'd mentioned it being her first smile since waking, but because of his palpable relief. 
Today the sun was out, the air was cool but not cold, and there was no breeze. It was the perfect day to sit at the table outside. When Padma excused herself to the loo, a coiffed and elegantly dressed Narcissa took her place for a few moments before her occupational therapy appointment. "'How are things with Charles? And you are supposed to be on medical leave. But things are fine.' Narcissa made a face as if the stressed word was not welcomed in her vocabulary. "'I have not had an apparition incident since the changing of the wards, but the muscle tremors are increasing, if you must know.' Hermione already did, the hand on her back earlier. The consistent habit of braiding her hair without asking. She'd felt each tremor for herself.' "'I hear your summons is on Monday.' By nature, the shift in conversation made Hermione suspicious. "'It is.' There was a pause. "'Are you prepared?' "'I am.' It wasn't something she had spared much thought. Hermione wasn't unfamiliar with the process. Her memories had been taken during the trials after the war, and that had been a quick, painless ordeal. "'Who will escort you?' "'Percy.' A tilt of her head gave Narcissa's confusion away. "'Interesting.' "'Why do you ask?' Hermione shifted in her chair. "'For the same reason I braid your hair every day. Pretend not to wait for you to finish physical therapy, and do not speak on anything I have seen. I am trying something new.' Hermione didn't have time to delve into the layers of meaning between Narcissa's words, because Harry stood at the door, waiting for her. "'I wonder what Mr. Potter wants.' Hermione wondered, too. There were too many people in Draco's office. Perhaps that was the reason he somehow looked both at ease, yet exasperated beyond words. But Hermione was drawn less to him and the vial of what looked like a memory in Percy's hand, and more to the new addition to the space. A table with a map that had tiny diamonds in various places, a few of which were moving and spinning. Percy, Harry, and to her surprise Hestia, were gathered around, comfortable in a space they had frequented so little. If ever, in Hestia's case— Floating teacups and Harry's jacket thrown over the back of the sofa were indicative of the fact that he'd been there a while. Blaze and Padma were peering at the map and frowning like they couldn't comprehend it. "'This discussion needs to happen in another room, preferably out of my earshot.' Hestia looked around at each of them. "'I'm not skilled at alchemancy as Mr. Malfoy. The less I know, the better.' Blaze stayed behind with Padma and Hestia, while Draco led the way to the office where Hermione had her therapy appointment earlier." Unconsciously, she took the chair Draco had pulled out for her, and felt him behind her still when Percy began explaining the situation. "'Harry thinks we should bring you into the fold of everything that's happened, and the developments in the investigation. I would prefer to wait until after your summons. However, with Draco as the deciding vote, I was overruled.' Percy's eyes cut to the man behind her then back, much to my surprise. But not to hers, when Hermione thought about it. Draco had promised in his own way— Okay, but first, why are Padma and Blaze in Draco's office? To be briefed, Percy adjusted the cuff of his green dress shirt before taking a seat and crossing his legs. Padma's summons went on as scheduled without incident, but yesterday, Cormac turned up at Blaze's office with investigators loyal to Tiberius. They attempted to interrogate him about the restoration. Hermione was instantly annoyed. What does Blaze know about the restoration? Other than its existence, nothing. Same with Padma. Rita has been working with us, as has Parvati. There were no secrets between the sisters or soon-to-be-married couple. Parvati has been gathering evidence on other Wizengamot members. It's hard to notice the corruption of others when Tiberius is in our faces, 
but it runs far deeper than just him. They would have to scorch the entire department from the inside out just to cleanse it. She looked from Percy to Harry, who seemed ready to speak. There's more. Harry scrubbed a hand over his face before scratching his chin, covered in the facial hair he hadn't bothered to shave. Your summons will likely take place privately. Frankly, I don't care who's there, Hermione folded her arms. With an official summons, I have no choice but to cooperate. I just want it to be over so I can leave as soon as possible. We want you to cooperate. Mostly. The inflection in Draco's voice made him sound as if he were joking, when he very much was not. At least, we want you to give the pretense of cooperation. What? She cut her eyes at Percy, who nodded. Now Hermione was intrigued. We've spent the last two weeks trying to figure out what you saw. Draco was obviously choosing his words carefully. Canvassing the scenes, viewing your memory, gathering evidence, and interrogating the captured Death Eaters, but we haven't been able to decipher anything useful or figure it out. I could have watched my memory. And subject yourself to repeatedly watching a traumatic event? Harry visibly blanched, looking as though he would rather face Voldemort again than let that happen. Not a chance! Draco stepped out from behind her and approached a bookshelf. None of us want the knowledge of the notes in ministry hands, as it would put our work in jeopardy. We also don't want them to know where or what happened after Greyback took you. Not for certain, at least. Hestia knows enough to jump through bureaucratic hoops for manpower and resources, but she doesn't want to know more than that. Well, that explained her comment. How could I possibly get away with giving a false memory? If you were proficient in occlumency, you could edit the memory, but you're not. I could learn. Of course you would suggest learning something as complex as occlumency days before your inquiry. Draco gave a small, annoyed huff that was accompanied by a quick eye roll. I can't train you in your current condition, nor am I inclined to. I'd tear your mind apart with the slightest push. He had a fair point. The plan is to swap your memory for another's. Whose? Mine. How? Hermione's eyebrows rose sharply. You weren't there. No, I wasn't. There was a tinge of discomfort beneath the surface. However, I viewed your memory enough times to create a false copy. A look passed between them. Her breath caught, but Draco continued on unfazed. I know how to omit things, and the decrease in clarity of the memory can easily be explained by your mental state at the time. Draco waved his hand before she could launch into an inquiry of her own. Anyway, it's already been done. Yesterday, to be exact. Draco truly had been busy, but Hermione doubted that was the extent of it. There's also the media. Rita has been pressing for an exclusive interview. Harry shrugged when everyone looked at him. What? I know it seems minor, but the media talks about little else except Hermione. I'd rather not subject myself to an interview. Hermione looked down at her sling before placing a protective hand over it. I wasn't the only one there. I wasn't the only brave person. You're a war hero who took on a number of Death Eaters during an attack on St. Mungo's. Then you saved the life of a friend while injured, were kidnapped, and escaped on your own. Percy ignored the daggers being shot at him by Draco. I understand and agree with your decision, but perhaps a small update might suffice. You can do that, but nothing more. I mean it. The media is a circus. With that many witnesses, it didn't take long for stories to emerge. Harry looked over at Draco. We couldn't stop them. At first, criticism came down heavily on the Aura's office and task force. 
But then there were dozens of leaked documents about the Wizengamot not signing off on increased security measures. It's been chaotic at best for the minister's office and Tiberius. Chaotic enough for everyone to sign off on whatever we ask for without reading it. Percy looked nothing short of humored. He even signed off on the investigation into the notes, although it wasn't worded as such. The notes just need to be tracked down, Hermione's brow furrowed. How much more is there to it? All three men seemed to make a silent decision on who was going to deliver the news. Harry lost. We've wanted to keep you as uninvolved as possible. Percy was the runner-up. We're not even sure if it's going to work. Draco won. It already is working. Explain. Hermione held up her hand, feeling a familiar tickle in her throat that always came before a coughing fit. When it passed, she gestured for him to continue despite the tightness in her chest. I'm fine. Go on. He didn't appear to believe her, but did as requested. I told you there were a few active notes. We've been tracking them down, snatching the Death Eaters carrying them, and replacing them with ores using polyjuice. So far, they've fed us locations and information. That was smart. Using their tactics against them. Hermione almost smiled. Yes. We've accounted for all the notes we could, Harry added. What about... Greyback. They all knew. The auras we have in there say they're all furious at Greyback, but won't exterminate him because he's valuable and powerful. Harry shifted from right to left. He's been healed of the curse, but not completely. They don't know how, but they think his lycanthropy is keeping him alive. Best question. Who are they? My uncles and others who were in the inner circle before Voldemort's death. Draco approached the edge of his desk, leaning on it. The power structure within the Death Eaters is an oligarchy, much like the Ministry now with the Wizengamot controlling all of the actions of the Minister. They won't follow one person, as they believe having a lone leader will end up with skewed and selfish motivations. Hermione nodded along, processing the information. Like Voldemort's hyperfixation on killing Harry and immortality. I don't remember them being very smart, Harry scratched the back of his head, at least not smart enough to coordinate an attack like the one on St. Mungo's. Neither do I, but while the element of surprise was inspired, there was a little rhyme or reason in the attack as a whole. We couldn't figure out the purpose. Theo's office was untouched. Potter thought it was you, and perhaps that was Greyback's goal when he realized you were there, but nothing else about it made sense. Hermione yawned suddenly. Harry chuckled. Appears the meeting is over for the day. No, I'm fine. I... Go get some air. The edge in Draco's tone left no room for argument. We'll come back to this. Standing took both effort and help in the form of Draco's offered hand. He lingered after Percy and Harry left, and with an even expression, he looked her over before he stepped closer. Why are you in a sling? Susan thinks it'll help. How's your head? It's fine. I'm fine. And it was true. With a nod, Draco excused himself, likely to finish up whatever they were doing with the map in his office. Hermione spotted Catherine in the kitchen with Zippy before returning to the outdoors. Blaze stood watch by the doorway, arms folded and eyes glued to where Padma was seated on the blanket with Albus and Scorpius. The sight was wholesome, with bits of Albus' constant chatter flittering over to where they stood. He was going on about starting lessons with Scorpius next week, and how excited he was for it. But what warmed her heart was watching Scorpius, who was sitting next to Padma, reach over and smooth the space between her eyebrows with his thumb. Padma grinned. Blaze simply observed, and the corners of his mouth twitched before a small chuckle escaped. For a moment, Hermione wasn't sure if he noticed her at all. 
He seemed lost in thought, focused on his fiancée as she smiled at the boy and talked to them both. Hermione's question escaped before she could hold it back. How are you doing with all this? Me? What about you? His dark eyes cut to her. Truth. It's not easy. Hermione tried to roll the tension out of one shoulder. You? One day at a time. His gaze returned to the sight before them. We found out yesterday that her migraines are likely permanent, as is the scar. Padma's strong and dedicated to her work, so she's been quiet about what that could possibly mean for her career. Padma hadn't told her that, likely due to her own fears about permanent injuries. What she doesn't understand is that her scar is a reminder of how strong she is. I'd rather it be permanent than the alternative. Blaze offered his hand for her to shake in an abrupt move that left her momentarily speechless. Everyone tells me I have you to thank for that. I don't thank me. I couldn't leave her like that. Hermione shuddered at the memory of the deal she'd made with the devil to keep her friend safe. I would have made the same decision again, even with the same outcome. I'll thank you anyway. They stood in silence that was weighted, yet comfortable. Hermione hadn't spent much time with Blaze beyond him delivering ingredients to her house and little odd conversations over the years. She barely knew him outside of what she'd observed and been told, so it was quite easy to leave the quiet undisturbed as they watched Padma, but unnatural for it to sit for too long. Apparently Blaze agreed. I need another favor from you. Hermione toyed with the ends of her braid. What is it? I need to borrow your greenhouse. Blaze slid both hands into the pockets of his trousers. I know Padma. She'll want to postpone the wedding, and I refuse to. The determination in his voice held a different tone but sounded familiar. I proposed again this morning, and I'll keep doing it until I can make good on my word, preferably in two weeks, when you're both cleared for magical travel. We'll still have the wedding in February, but... This will be for the both of you. Not their families. Not anyone. Exactly. His eyes slid over to her. And since you are doing me a favor, I'll do you one as well. I don't need anything. I thought Draco was evasive about you for his own sake, but I realize it's for yours. Hermione froze like a statue, and her mouth went dry. All she could do was blink and think and wait. Whatever choice you make about him, make it once and completely. Paralyzed with the sick sensation of drowning in her own blood, Hermione woke up gasping for air. She shut her eyes and reoriented herself to reality and the bed she'd wound up in alone. Too restless to wait, Hermione dragged herself out of bed, stepped into her slippers, and made the slow walk to the kitchen for water before continuing on towards the light at the end of the hall. Draco stood alone, peering down at the map on the table. It's late. Focused on his task, her words seemed to startle him, and gray eyes cut in her direction. You were asleep. No longer wearing her sling, Hermione held her injured arm close to her body, and used the other to fix the shoulder of the shirt she was swimming in. I woke up. They both knew why. I was just finishing up. Hermione joined him at the small table, taking in the sight of the map that she'd only gotten a glimpse at earlier. There were eight swirling diamonds. What is it? Letters. On the oars we planted. Is this how you... Yes. In a way. He sounded detached and clinical, eyes so distant she wondered if he was occluding, but she hoped he wasn't. Draco pointed at a diamond. Each note is attached to a diamond. Because there are so many, I use the map when I need to see the location of more than one. 
The beacon spell lasts thirty days, so most were on the move, or still at the hospital when I activated the spell. I picked the ones that were still. Draco raised his hand and summoned a diamond from his desk. He placed it on the edge of the map and whispered a spell to make it glow like the others and move automatically. It stopped in the forest of Dean, far, far from home. The first stationary note led me to where you'd been splinched. He'd found pieces of her first. Eventually, I made it to the last stationary spot. You had two on you. I left one buried to find it again so I could bring the team to investigate the area. The other was in his pocket, stained with her blood, Hermione remembered. I created a port key and brought you to the hospital. How long did it take? Not long, or you would have bled out. Draco's jaw clenched. It was close. Too close. Hermione didn't push, feeling his resistance and remembering Susan's words. Are you coming to bed? It was a question she asked each night, but his answer remained the same. They left the diamonds floating above the map. Hermione waited by her bedroom door until she heard two knocks before opening it. Draco's hair was still wet from his shower. His chest was bare, shirt slung over his shoulder, leaving his tattoo visible. She let him in. She said nothing and kept her eyes trained on the dragon while he spread the minty balm on her forming scars and irritated skin. Draco's face was always blank while he worked inexpressive when he pulled her shirt back down, except when something unreadable flashed across his features as he touched the remaining marks on her neck. It's almost gone. I know. Draco slept on his side facing the door. It was his way, on the lookout even in his own home. And Hermione began each night facing him, on the edge of her pillow, tracing flames with a single finger. They both ignored the tremor until it worsened. His hand entwined with hers and held on, bringing their joined hands between them. What woke you? Draco's murmured question was loud in the quiet surrounding them. I dreamed I was drowning. She watched him, still tense under the weight of her nightmares. She shifted closer. What keeps you awake? Thoughts. Memories. You. Hermione tensed but kept her eyes on him. Dense and gray, his eyes were like a storm over the sea. Tumultuous, untamable, and completely indifferent to the whims of mankind. Nothing to do except wait it out. But that didn't stop Hermione from trying to temper the heavens. Have you talked about finding me? I... I have. Draco took a deep and shaky breath, and it mirrored the relief she felt. A few times. But I don't want to talk about that tonight. What do you want to talk about? Often Draco said little to nothing, but sometimes he waited until she was on the brink of sleep before he spoke. Sometimes they discussed things she already knew, or things she'd been curious about but never asked. But mostly he told her things he never spoke of. Preferences, mainly. But he also gave her glimpses of his past, and little bits of information that rounded out his character. Do you travel? Hermione hadn't expected the question. My parents travel often, but I haven't in years. Sometimes I miss friends. Draco was slow to continue after his confession. Have you been? Not in a long time, but I wouldn't mind being a tourist again. France is more than the museums and landmarks, more than books and travel guides. Paris isn't bad, but I prefer the mountains. We have a home in Chamonix. My mother hates. I've never... I can take you. 
Draco shifted, but his focus remained on her in that cautious way of his. You and Scorpius in winter. Before Hermione could answer or even process the idea of making plans, a stab of pain made her calf spasm, and she punched out a grunt. The phantom pain was back, and it made him retreat but not leave. Hermione blinked at the ceiling, trying to muddle through until the spell was over, but her muscles tensed more. It felt like a memory, like agony, like being split apart all over again. Nausea rose and her heart thundered in her chest as she tried to catch her breath. She didn't want to panic, not now, but it wouldn't be tamed. Hermione wasn't sure when Draco moved, but he was there with a vial that she accepted. Not needing to be told what it was, she drank it knowing it would relieve the pain. Draco massaged her leg and focused on his task, mouth downturned. She felt better in minutes instead of hours. Turning on her side, the pain potion began to work, lulling her eyes shut. Draco molded himself to her back, and her appreciation was given quietly when she tightened her hold on their joined hands. Sleep came easy with the steady beat of his heart against her back. Hermione woke up alone. Looking to the window, Hermione found her bearings, only to discover that it was still dark. Then she glanced at the clock on her bedside. It was just after three. She had a feeling where he might be. The walk was short, but confirmation was soon found when she peeked her head into the open door and spotted something that made her lean on the doorway. The ceiling was covered in stars from a projector that had been pulled out when Scorpius' sleep troubles started last week. Beautiful and calming. But Hermione's eyes didn't stay there long, drawn instead to Draco dozing on his son's bed, but not quite asleep. He didn't look comfortable, curled on his side, arm extended, neck turned in a way that would hurt later. But Draco didn't seem to care. His attention was on Scorpius, who had his head on his father's arm and his thumb in his mouth, sleeping peacefully while buried in Hermione's blanket. The only thing sticking out of the blanket were his face, feet, and an arm that was stretched out, fingers firmly wrapped around his. "'I should talk to you more.' Draco's murmured words startled Hermione, but it wasn't directed at her, only Scorpius. "'You do.' Her response announced her presence, but he only looked up. "'But if you're looking for other things, tell him a story about you. A secret. He'll listen regardless because he wants to. He's interested.' Use your history as a lesson, not a threat. Has he talked about... Draco shook his head. Never mind. From his cocoon, Scorpius made a soft, sleepy noise that momentarily distracted them both. Draco looked perplexed in a way that made her smile, then more when he slowly extracted himself from his son's grip and eased his body out of the bed. Hermione walked around it, removing the bed as a divider, and glanced up at him the moment he scrubbed a hand over his face. Tired? No. Hermione pulled him away. What do you do when you can't sleep? Laps. The look Draco gave her was endless, but I'm only allowed two. Hermione changed into her swimsuit and slipped into the pool room in time to observe his allowed laps. The sound of moving water was soothing, and Draco was just as graceful in the water as he was on dry land. When she was comfortably seated on the edge, her legs in the water, he dipped beneath the surface in the center of the pool and swam to her. His hands emerged first, before the rest of him followed. Draco wiped the excess water from his face and shook his hair. Feel better? Yes. Draco glanced down at her legs. Getting in? 
I'm supposed to take a break from exercises. I know. She joined him anyway, submerging herself completely and resurfacing. Hermione wasn't a strong swimmer, and it didn't take much for her to tire from merely keeping herself afloat. It was hard to tell how they ended up in the middle of the pool with her wrapped around him and his hands firmly on her bum, but there they were, neck deep in water and entwined. How's your shoulder? Improving. Are you tired yet? No. A bead of water ran down his face to the corner of his mouth. Rather than fight the urge, Hermione leaned into it, first testing his upper lip, then his lower. Less exploratory and not quite demanding, her kiss was straightforward. An experience and taste that was slightly different, more familiar. Their lips parted with ease as her tongue snaked along the bottom lip before pulling back just a fraction. Eyes open and locked on each other. They drifted closer to the wall without her noticing. Time passed, but Hermione was unaware of how much. It could have been seconds, or minutes, or hours. She didn't know. Draco was quiet, giving her the same look he often did, deeper than the pool they were in. Water lapped against their skin as he shifted her in his arms. Hermione frowned, but Draco huffed an amused noise. You're not heavy, but you're under strict orders not to exert yourself. Nothing strenuous, physical, or stressful. Those three came in all forms. Bad and very good. The implication of want was loud but deafened by his patience. Draco leaned in again, and Hermione sucked in a breath, quick but harsh, and tightened her arms around his neck. No rush. His lips brushed against hers, and his quiet words drew her in. For now, this will do. His mouth was on hers again, and surrendering was as natural as the trust she put in him, with each word, as easy as each night they opened up to each other through snatches of conversation before falling asleep. Engrossed in the moment, they floated on, and on. Draco never let her go. October 9, 2011. Morning rain had left everything damp. The sky was overcast, threatening more rain, but the clouds held the sky at bay long enough for her to step out the front door and look back where Scorpius was at his dad's side. He wanted to come with them, but Draco had whispered something in his ear that made his mood brighten. A secret. One Hermione wasn't privy to until a familiar car pulled into the drive and an even more familiar person emerged. Her dad. She took an unconscious step towards him, then looked back and tilted her head curiously. We'll meet you there. Hermione's eyebrow rose. Where? Enjoy the ride, Granger. Draco just nodded in her dad's direction and closed the door. All feelings of puzzlement evaporated when she hugged her father, but returned when they were pulling away from the Malfoy's house. Where are we going? Don't worry, I know the way. Leaving London was a nightmare by car, and traffic served as a reminder of the joys of magical transportation. Her dad didn't seem phased. He had the radio on, hands on the wheel, and rather than being drawn to the streets they navigated, she was more focused on him. Once they were on the open road, with the countryside ahead and the city at their backs, Hermione felt settled enough to speak. You didn't tell me you were coming. They'd talked for nearly an hour on the phone that had appeared in the guest room last week. It was a surprise. Her dad snuck a quick glance at her. How are you feeling? Even with the sling, you look better. Stronger. In some ways I am. Hermione took a deep breath. In others I'm not. 
Are you and Mom still in the safe house? We were allowed to return home yesterday evening, but we have Auras watching our house in addition to all the magic you warded it with. I didn't know you'd done all that. I did it a long time ago. Years, actually. To keep you both safe. Ron told us of what's been going on. With the werewolf, the attacks, the Death Eaters. I had no idea. I never wanted you both involved. It's... why I charmed your memories. Never mind. Her dad said nothing until the beginning of the next hour. Where were they going? You're like me in that aspect, you know? She looked at him. What? I start a lot of sentences that I'm afraid to finish. He tapped his finger on the steering wheel before turning the music off. I put things away to talk about later, or even think about later. And the next thing I know, years have passed, and... And my daughter looks at me like she's not even sure who I am. Hermione stopped breathing. And I find myself unsure of who she is. Choked up, she could only look at the greenery that hadn't changed with the season just yet. And I spend years in the same room once a month trying to speak, but not finding the words. Her hands went to her chest, flattening over her wildly racing heart. It's a never-ending cycle that I want to break. Finally, her emotions released their grip long enough for her to speak. I do, too. I just... Hermione took a breath. I can't remember a time when I didn't miss you. I should have said something sooner. I should have, too. Tears escaped and she let them fall. Catharsis was found in release and healing, and enabling seeds of recognition to be sown. I'm not sure if we'll get back to where we were before, but I... I understand more than ever why you altered our memories. Ron told us everything. Everything that happened during that year that you didn't want us to know. I'm glad I never knew the danger you were in. I would have been worried sick. But why didn't you tell us after? Mom was so upset the moment she remembered, and I just didn't think detailed explanations would make anything better. It was easier to try and move on, atone, and cope. Her dad reached over and took her hand, and squeezed gently when it trembled. We might not understand your world, but we are your parents. I think a lot of your mother's issues came from feeling obsolete in your life, cut out and helpless. Sometimes I feel that way, too. Though his eyes were trained on the road, they were wet like hers. You're our only child, Hermione. We've watched you grow and change. And have always been proud of you, even if we don't understand the world you live in. Always. Fresh, hot tears continued staining her cheeks red. Hermione sniffed, listened, and breathed. It's instinct for us to want to protect you, even when it's clear we don't know how, even when it hurts that we can't. Hermione understood, but remained quiet, shifting in her seat and leaning against his arm while he changed gears and continued driving through the English countryside, green and serene, calming and quiet. Another hour passed before he spoke again. How your mother has handled this has been a point of contention, but that's between you two. I don't want to dredge it up, not today at least. My fault lies in not taking the time to see your world. She sat up when he began to slow, which is what I intend to rectify today. It was right then that Hermione realized they weren't just on a ride, when she noticed exactly where they were, what she'd been too distracted by the conversation to process. They were home, specifically at hers. When they pulled into the grass, her father turned off the car and looked around before wordlessly getting out and walking to the front of the car. 
She joined him as he looked around at the sprawling green pasture that's surrounding her home, and led to the mix of colors in the forest. The scent of evergreen was thick in the air. Only two weeks had passed, but the land looked different. The trees had turned more. "'You live here?' He never let her respond. "'It's peaceful.' Peace that was constantly under threat, but worth the fight. "'Would you like a tour?' Her question seemed to startle him. "'I, uh, yes.' The walk to her front door was silent. Hermione watched as her dad looked around, catching sight of the stream, the sparse trees out front, and the house itself. But before she could open the door, the knob twisted and opened for her. There was Draco with Scorpius at his side, dressed in a different green jumper that protected him from the chill. "'What are you—' Then she remembered. "'We'll see you there.' "'Dad, this is—' "'We've met.' Draco extended a hand. "'Mr. Granger, always a pleasure.' "'Mr. Malfoy?' The handshake was formal but firm, and then he glanced down at Scorpius, whose smile came easier when he peered up at him. "'And who might you be?' "'This is my son, Scorpius.' Her dad went to stoop before him, and Hermione almost stopped him because it took time for Scorpius to warm up to anyone. But the little boy surprised her by only scrutinizing him for mere seconds before accepting his hand. Slowly. Tentatively. "'I'm Hermione's dad.' Scorpius looked curious. Intrigued, even. The tour was quiet. Draco vanished while Scorpius lingered at her side, with his hand in hers. They started in the office, which was clean even though she knew she hadn't left it like that. Her dad walked around her brewing room in a way that reminded her of the last person to navigate the space, the same person who was currently in the storage closet putting ingredients away. I just finished before Catherine delivered Scorpius prior to your arrival. Finished what? Draco's response was a long look that sent Hermione on her way with a chuffed eye roll. Her dad looked back once, but said nothing. He kept walking. By the time they made it to the living area, Scorpius was freely leading the way to his favorite space, the conservatory. Her dad froze mid-step upon entering the room, then continued in, looking around in renewed awe. As she did when Scorpius picked up on the rehab plants that was looking much improved and showed it to both of them. Then another plant, and another, before taking him on a tour of the potted conservatory garden while she remained by the door. Bits of her dad's comments and compliments filtered to her ears, but she would have thought it was his platitudes given to a child to feign interest if he hadn't looked amazed. Hermione looked on, watching Scorpius warm with her dad's growing interest. Hands on her shoulders made her jolt, then relax back against Draco's chest. How was your ride? It was nice. Nice to get out and see the countryside in autumn. Nice to talk to her dad. Nice to feel like the loose strings between them were finally weaving together. Thank you for arranging this. What did you say to get him to come here? I didn't say anything. The next hour passed both slowly and quickly as the tour continued. Not just for him, but for her as well. All was well. The chickens were healthy and happy, and the plants were clearly cared for. Her friends had taken care of everything. Humbled and gracious, even more with the addition of her father, Hermione found herself quieter than usual. Seeing him there, in her world, in her life, in her home, left her full to the brim with emotions that threatened to spill over. The mood carried her through the lunch that Draco had clearly purchased, and continued after when they settled on the sofa, and Scorpius returned with something to keep him entertained. A coloring book. It wasn't long before he had his own marker holder. 
She looked over at Draco, but found the space beside her in the kitchen empty. Frowning, she wandered to where she thought he might be, the brewing room. And there he was, peeking at the cauldron along the wall. Hermione cleared her throat. "'What are you working on?' Draco didn't turn around. "'My mother's experimental potion.' After washing her hands and drying them on a towel, she joined him at the table he'd cleared to give himself the space needed to calculate. Draco was tapping the pen against his chin as he looked over the changes he'd made to his equations with a concentrated frown. His glasses had slid down his nose slightly, and he broke from one action to adjust them before returning. She sat in the chair next to him, their legs touching. It's important that the sylphium balances with the other ingredients, but there's a specific way that it should be added. I read that— Draco stopped abruptly. What? You used a book to brew. I did. His chuckle was deep in his chest, but Hermione heard it and flushed. I never said I didn't. "'only that I had opinions due to you exclusively brewing from books. "'It'll take a week before we'll know if it works. "'And then there was the matter of testing its potency "'before introducing it to Narcissa's regimen, an uphill climb. "'We're supposed to be relaxing.' "'She drew him away. "'Let's go.' "'Scorpius wanted to show her father the greenhouse. "'The walk was quiet but short. "'Side by side, their steps synced "'as they walked behind Scorpius and her dad.' Hermione swore she could feel the heat from his body when their arms brushed. Despite the crispness in the air, it was a nice out. The sun was tucked behind the invading clouds, but blue skies were mostly winning their battle for control. The fight would undoubtedly continue on, and per the forecast, the clouds would win the war in the end. Draco held the door of the greenhouse open, and instead of fuss, she walked in, basking in the immediate change in temperature. Hermione snuck glances at Draco— picking up on the small signs that he was too warm. The bear's tint on his ears, the way he kept moving his glasses up as Hermione gave her dad the tour. There were far more plants than she remembered. One of the empty tables was now full, and there was an array of small, flowering trees that had taken a place in the center. "'What is this?' her dad gestured to what looked like a pot full of soil. "'I'm not sure,' but Scorpius knew, as did Draco.' "'Scorpius planted your seeds last week with Longbottom.' "'The look he gave her was proud, "'but he kept insistently staring at his father, "'then poked him on the forearm "'until Draco gave a begrudging huff. "'I helped.' "'The visual of Scorpius and Draco "'planting her daylily with Neville's help was unfathomable, "'yet the image played vividly in her mind. "'Hermione couldn't help but grin. "'I can't wait to see it.' She and Draco exchanged looks that held for so long neither of them noticed her dad and Scorpius had moved on. "'What is this?' Her dad was looking at the pot of Silphium. "'It's an extinct plant. My friend Neville is working to cultivate plants that haven't existed in nature in years. We're using it for a potion for Draco's mother.' "'She's your patient, correct? The one we went to the library for?' "'Yes.' She watched her dad pick up the pot Neville had carefully separated from the rest. For some reason— Hermione kept nervously talking, especially when he kept looking at the plant. What was he expecting to see? All the soil types are different, but the idea was to charm each plant to maintain what the temperature might have been when it existed in nature. Any signs of growth, like buds, perhaps? Hermione frowned. Exactly. Well, look at this. They all approached him, even Scorpius. Do you see it? See what? Look. And when Hermione did... It took several passes to see what her father saw. Two new buds. 
small, barely noticeable, but alive, growing. There was something special about new life, something intangible that made it magical. It was a fresh start, a new chapter, a beginning to a journey like no other. But it was also something more, something that each needed in their own way. Hope. Sunset was nearly finished when Scorpius nodded off with his head in her lap. Draco took him inside to lay him on the sofa, and her father watched him go, waiting until the door to the conservatory shut before looking at her. He looked vaguely amused. "'He's an interesting man.' <laughs> "'That he is. "'Like still waters, silent men are deep and dangerous.' That was quite the statement coming from her father, but not unholy untrue. Draco was still an enigma, a riddle yet to be solved, but the questions that now lingered were different than before. In the last two weeks he'd spoken more, but also not given much away. There were their normal conversations over morning tea, snatches of exchanges throughout the day, and the little talks before bed. Not much in the grand scheme of things, not even as long as their first when he showed her the dragon she saw every night, but Hermione couldn't remember ever talking to someone that much, or listening to each syllable, lest she miss something important. She cared about the crumbs of information offered in low whispers when they were both on the edges of sleep. She'd learned more about the sweet tooth he hardly indulged in, and that he'd only start wearing glasses last year when more than a decade of reading in low light, and the fact that he didn't care for cardamom. Draco didn't hate the color red as much as he disliked orange, but when she told him her favorite was green, he said he knew and kissed her before she could ask how. Which led her to a new topic. Draco kissed her once a day, every day, in different locations and at different times, and Hermione couldn't remember kissing someone so much or so often either. Yet she still wanted more. She couldn't remember ever being simultaneously calmed and stirred by someone's touch and presence, or having the desire to be around a person so unconsciously. Easy to rationalize, it was harder to digest her own reasoning. Hermione had slept alone for years, and she thought she preferred it that way, but now she found herself briefly wondering if she could again. Was waking up each morning to Draco something she could give up when she returned home? The thought alone paralyzed her. You look like you're at war. I am, Hermione sighed. I have been. More and more since she'd had so much time to think about everything. The age-old problem of thinking while immersed reared its head. And there was that battle between her head and her heart. You know, he turned up at the safe house with a note that had a date time, and two addresses, yours and his, followed by instructions. He gave it to me and left without saying anything. That sounded like Draco. It also explained his comment about not having to ask her father to come. He simply gave him an option and let him decide. The concept was as familiar as coordinating breakfast times for a father to begin bonding with his son. Hermione looked down. The parallels couldn't be ignored. Both were fathers trying to understand their children— trying to bond with them, speak to them, and reach for them. And they had been steadily doing so in their own ways. They had both needed a little help in the end to get there. But they were trying, working, and putting forth the effort. It took two hours to decipher what his note said. A laugh bubbled in her chest before it simmered into a soft smile. Draco's handwriting is horrid. Scorpius still can't read it, and it took me a while to learn how. Now she could read his notes without squinting a testament to how far they'd come. 
Speaking of, Scorpius is the quietest child I've ever met. He stopped speaking when his mother died last November, but he's finding his voice again. He'd probably said thirty collective words to Hermione since the first. That morning he'd said, good morning, instead of signing it, and was careful in making sure no one else was around. Still so shy. He took to you easier than I've seen him take to most adults. I think that had to do with the fact that I'm your dad. He paused. He's intrigued by you. I mentioned that at his age you easily entertained yourself like he does, and he seemed to want to know more. I told him about your first trip to the library and even to the zoo, and he was fascinated. Hermione was surprised. For months she'd been talking to him, helping him open up and figure out all his cues and clues, but meanwhile he just wanted to know her. I had no idea. But now that she did, she would do better. Her dad chuckled. Also, I couldn't help but notice he has a loose tooth next to the one growing in. Forever a dentist. Another one? Scorpius was not happy about losing his first. I'd pay good money to see his father handle that. Hermione joined in when he laughed. If anything, it'll be like the first. A staring contest with an irritated child and a lot of open cabinets and drawers. Ah, that sounds familiar. Her smile widened, and she placed a hand on top of his, resting her head on his shoulder. Thank you for coming, Dad. It means a lot that you're here. Thank you for letting me. Their hands stayed like that for a while, tremor and all. If you'll let me, I'd like to come back. It's a long drive, but well worth it. When you lose control, you discover new things. Daniel Lenoir Chapter 32 Heartbeats October 10th, 2011 Hermione left an enveloping silence in her wake. It stretched to each corner, touched the ceiling, and permeated the floors with a tension so thick she wondered if it fused to the very oxygen in the room. The mighty roaring in Hermione's ears and the electric prickling along her skin made her muscles tense. Her heart pounded to a rhythm only wild things could understand. Not in fear or fury, only adrenaline. But when she turned to leave, the silence snapped, and a swell of demands rushed at her in a current so fast she couldn't distinguish one noise from the next. Chairs scraped against the floor. A gavel thundered repeatedly on the wood. Voices overlapped into a sea of sound she could never hope to separate. Hermione ignored it all. Like a boat caught in the rage of a storm, waves of harsh, hissed words should have knocked her over and made her sink, but she remained upright, steadfast and floating on. The room continued to thunder to the beat of her name as she walked on and walked out. The storm didn't calm. The clamors didn't die. Even when heavy doors closed behind her with a resounding clang, and the lock turned with finality, she could still hear the squall raging on. Hermione cleared the threshold, and exhaled her first ragged breath as she steadied her heart and shook the tension from her free hand. Voices breached the barrier. Harry's rose in advocacy, pounding against the wood with a boom, while Percy's call for the room's attention, thin and sharp, sliced through the cracks. Hermione sagged against the stone wall in a testament to the exhaustion she'd felt since the start of the stummins that had left her a bit battered, but not beaten down. She was, however, incredibly angry. A throat cleared in the empty corridor. Hermione opened her eyes and did a double-take. The corridor was empty, save for Draco who sat in a chair opposite of her, with his legs crossed and arms folded as if he'd been waiting a while. 
The badge on his belt and one holster on his shoulder told her one thing. He'd been reinstated. But he didn't move, only tilted his head in question. Did you comply? I did. Hermione was almost in arm's reach when Percy's voice rose in an uncharacteristic volume behind her. She paused as Draco's eyes flickered above her head to the shut door, momentarily distracted. But then they dropped back. He quirked an eyebrow. Mostly. When he rose to her feet, he didn't look impressed. What happened? Their carefully crafted plans should have had her in and out in five minutes, with Harry pulling rank to be the one to perform the memory extraction, and planting Draco's with the investigators. But even the best laid plans sometimes went askew at the start of a battle. Everything started as we'd planned, but after Harry's extraction, Tiberius presented a written order for an additional statement under Veritaserum. Draco's eyes widened. None of them had expected it, and her abject refusal and subsequent discourse was the sole reason why what should have been a short appearance had gone on for nearly half an hour. I first cited my refusal. I'm a victim, not a criminal, but Tiberius led the pushback and had the gall to accuse me of not giving a true memory. He wasn't wrong, but righteous indignation was always the best defense. I reminded him that I've never been trained as an Occlumens, so I lack the ability to fabricate memories. Then I cited medical reasons for my refusal. I don't know how Veritaserum would interact with the potions in my system. I was just as shocked as Harry when Tiberius called for a vote, and they all agreed to detain me until they had a medical opinion. Harry refused for lack of due cause. I withdrew my consent for my memory. Chaos broke out, and Percy arrived right when I verbally started a war. Draco adjusted the strap of her sling, which had slipped out of place during the ordeal. Hermione remained unapologetic, and a hint of amusement slipped through the crack of his demeanor. I couldn't hear everything from out here, but I arrived at the part when someone told you that you were overreacting. Hermione would have winced had she felt bad for anything he'd heard following that comment, but she meant every word. Two distinct voices were now volleying back and forth, Percy and Tiberius. Draco started to sidestep her, as if he were going to enter the fray, but seemed to decide against it. Given the way Percy's voice carried as he cited codes and laws pertaining to protecting witnesses, he was beginning to quiet the protests. Not even Tiberius was above certain laws. He sounded as if he had the attention of every sitting member of the Wizengamot, with his accusations of unethical practices during a meeting that would be available for public record. The storm was ending as loudly as it had begun. We shouldn't be standing here when this ends. Draco didn't take her hand during the quiet walk through level ten, but he did slow his strides to keep with hers. There was also a steady hand on her back as they took to the stairs to level nine. Like always lately, Hermione was frustratingly winded by the time she reached the top, silent as they waited until she caught her breath before continuing. The entrance to the Department of Mysteries was closed, and Hermione thought it was a minor miracle they had made it to the lift without seeing anyone emerge. But then the doors of the lift opened to reveal someone Hermione hadn't seen in years. Older than she remembered, but still with elaborately curled hair and an outfit akin to a burst of color that didn't suit the rainy day. Rita Skeeter. No doubt she was about to get off the lift, but changed her mind, stepping back in so they could enter. Hermione Granger! What a surprise! So glad to see you recovering, outside of that! She made a sweeping gesture in her direction. Hermione frowned, knowing just what the witch meant. The changes people could see, 
the sling, fading bruises, visible scars, shorn hair, and the looser-fit clothes from weight she hadn't gained back. Coy eyes slid to Draco as the lift started moving. "'And Mr. Malfoy!' Rita took in the sight of them, standing side by side. "'This is a combination I never thought I would live to see, though I shouldn't be surprised. I've heard all the tales of how he found you barely clinging to life after the attack on St. Mungo's. The story is utterly compelling from what little we know. But no one has been able to get an exclusive.' Hermione knew exactly where this was going. "'Would you both mind a quick interview?' "'I definitely mind.' Draco's voice was as hard as his stance, rigid like granite. After cutting his eyes over to Skeeter once in warning, he resumed staring ahead at nothing. Blessedly, the lift was moving quickly, and they were no more than two levels from their destination. "'If that's the case, perhaps I could publish an article about how chummy you two seem.' Though out of practice and feeling a little wary, Hermione knew all her tricks. She knew the comment was intended as a test of Hermione's reaction, or lack thereof, as well as an attempt to jar her into saying something that would surely be taken out of context. "'Is that all?' Yet another plan fell through when Hermione tisked and shook her head. "'You've gotten quite lazy over the years.' But then she noticed Draco, standing taller beside her, with his mouth fixed as if something was threatening to come out. Hermione gripped his wrist to stop him from speaking, and stepped forward, making Rita's smug expression fade slightly at first, then more when she lowered her voice. "'I'm still quite good at bug-catching.' The pleasant expression on Hermione's face hardened into ice. Beetles are my preference. The lift came to a stop and the door opened. Nice seeing you again, Rita. Hermione led the way out of the lift doors and Draco followed. Rita Skeeter did not. Several moments passed in silence before Draco cleared his throat. Beetles? Is that code for Skeet? It's a long story. Hermione ran a hand over her hair. She may very well publish something anyway, but... I'll handle it. Draco's hand returned to the small of her back, guiding her in the direction of his office like she hadn't been there before. Like with Cormac? Hermione had been quietly curious about that for quite some time. Precisely. Did you pay? I don't throw money at every problem. Draco looked vaguely amused. I merely secured his silence in exchange for mine. What does that mean? McLagan is reckless. It didn't have to dig hard to find everything that makes him a liability rather than an asset. A few photos and documents. He consented to letting me wipe his memory of the day. Hermione should have been alarmed and argued, but it wasn't the worst morally reprehensible thing she'd ever done, and besides, they'd arrived at the doorway of the task force office. The last time she'd been here, everyone had quietly watched them walk to his office. She'd thought it had a lot to do with Scorpius's presence, but today the looks were the same. While the majority kept their eyes on him, stayed at a distance, and tensed when he walked by their desks with his hand still on her back, there was a group watching and waiting for him in the one of the conference rooms, the French team. Go. Gesturing to his office, he waited for her to start in that direction before heading towards the conference room. She didn't twist the knob of his office until he entered the room and witnessed them celebrate his return. The cheers were blocked by silencing charms, but their happiness was palpable. Real. Draco seemed to take it in stride, making a gesture for them to calm down, far more relaxed than she'd seen him at work. There was a small smirk on his face that only diminished when he started speaking, and was gone completely when, one by one, they each responded. Hermione squinted as if lip-reading a different language was a skill she could instantly develop. Draco stopped abruptly and turned. She'd been caught. 
Gray eyes fell on her with an expression that made her awkwardly wave in embarrassment. He pointed to the office a little more insistently and cut his eyes at someone who spoke. With a flush warming of her cheeks, she went inside and shut the door. Exhaling deeply, she scolded herself for being so ridiculous before looking around. Impersonal as ever, Hermione had more than enough time to peruse his office. A slightly chaotic desk, the sparse books on the shelf, the potato on the corner, and something she hadn't expected to see, the list of places and ideas for their outings scribbled in his handwriting. A few had been crossed out. Whether for her lack of interest or his, she wasn't sure. It was charming, thoughtful, and Hermione couldn't help but pick it up for a closer look. She was still trying to visibly recall each place when Draco walked in. There was no time to put it down. He paused, looked at what she was holding, then glanced back. Hi. Hermione put the parchment down like it would explode, then curled her hand at her side. I'm, um, I'm not opposed to any place, even the ones you crossed out. Lived here my entire life and haven't seen most of these. Draco blinked twice and it made Hermione shift her weight. I... tomorrow at five. He barely gave her time to nod before adding, Don't eat dinner. It was her turn to stare as if he'd lost his mind, but Draco merely raised a brow as if waiting a retort. The moment passed like once before, vibrating with the shifting undercurrent between them. Hermione adjusted her sling and turned her head to ease the tension in her neck. A scrape of his fingers against hers made Hermione aware of his presence, they brushed once, before slipping between hers and intertwining together. A bit of calm after the storm. Hermione turned her head and yawned as fatigue settled into her bones. Bad? Yes. She rested her head against his chest, and neither mentioned how she was shaking. Think you can make it until they finish? By the time there was a knock on his door, Hermione was seated, nearly slumped against Draco and losing the fight against exhaustion while waiting for an invigoration draft to begin working. Her head felt so heavy she didn't bother lifting it when the door swung open and in walked Pansy, Harry, and Percy. His hand didn't move. Everything handled? Yes. Percy looked the most unruffled, which was shocking, given how loud he'd gotten after her departure. Harry looked less surprised and more intrigued. Are you okay, Hermione? Fatigue, Draco answered for her. Pansy, is Daphne here to take her back? I drove us here today. We barely survived, Hermione mumbled, thinking about the city bus Pansy had cut off along the way. Oi, I'm a good driver. When Percy pointedly looked elsewhere, she elbowed him in the side, which only made him smile. Anyway, is anyone going to talk about the glowing potato on Draco's desk? It's from Scorpius. Hermione couldn't hold back a yawn. Ah, Pansy also looked around. I see you've been reinstated. I have. Draco sounded grim about it. The ruling was that my actions were justified under the circumstances. Wait! Pansy barely held back a scoff. No offense, but how? You abandoned your post in the middle of an active terrorism investigation to find Hermione. Not bad at all, completely justified. Except for the bloody fiend fire you set on what ended up being a Death Eater safe house. Not to mention torching the surrounding area. They weren't even able to track the magic because the area was so thoroughly scorched. Hermione was speechless and could only gape at him, mouth open as questions began to pile on top of theories. The only thing diminishing her shock about the extent of Pansy's knowledge was the fact that Draco didn't look the least bit apologetic. My actions were deemed necessary. Let's start a list, 
Pansy dodged the glares that might as well have been daggers thrown in her direction. Recklessness, insubordination, the intentional destruction of property and evidence, and threatening statue of secrecy to the point where obliviators had to be called in to stop the muggles from trying to put the fire out. Your story about finding Hermione is flimsy at best. But what about the highly illegal port key you made to get her back? I'm sure... Are you quite finished? Draco drawled. I... How exactly did you manage to slide out of being sacked? Because he's slippery. An amused laugh escaped Harry, and it earned him a few looks. Also, the panel was split, and the decision came down to Hestia. She must have voted in his favor. If you must know, I burned all of Granger's magical footprint, and anything that could be used by anyone for polyjuice. I ordered the same to happen to the safe house, because I wasn't certain if she'd been inside and escaped. It was... smart. Pansy looked impressed. Bloody unhinged, but smart. Draco didn't disagree. Neither did she. The more details Hermione learned, the more dire it sounded. "'I wish they would have waited another week to clear you,' Harry said. Agreed. A word she thought she'd never hear from Draco in response to Harry. However, I'll be at decreased capacity for the month, so it's fine. I could still work on our project and possibly pull in a few members of the French team to assist. How discreet are they? Percy's lips pressed into a thin line. I'd say very, Harry shrugged. They all refused to speak against him, resisted Veritaserum, and their memories offered no evidence to the order of events. Not certain how you gained their loyalty. I earned it. Draco's hand still hadn't moved from hers. About six years ago, they all were infected after a safe house mission went wrong. The hospital had enough antidote for either half to get the complete regime, or all to get the first seven rounds. I brewed enough to make up the difference myself. They each owe me a life debt that I have no intention of collecting. None of them would ever betray me. Harry's eyes widened in shock. Apparently he hadn't known. Neither had she. It explained so much. Is that how you knew about the replenishing? No, that was a guess. Once again, discomfort made its way across his features. I've never seen anyone survive the potion in their system that long. Perhaps it had to do with the quality. It was possible, but there were no words. What happened with the summons? Draco changed the subject. Percy folded his arms. I've sufficiently put a larger target on my back. At Hermione's apologetic wince, he shook his head and raised both hands. Had to happen at some point, but they accepted the memory Harry swapped. I think we've... Actually, there's one more thing we need to do. All eyes turned to Draco. And that is? Muzzle Skeeter. He looked over at Hermione. She approached us for an interview on her way here, but I doubt Granger's beetle threat will silence her forever. <laughs> yes, it will. Harry cleared his throat of the laugh that was working its way out. Pansy looked intrigued. Potter, explain. Despite how well they worked together, it seemed Draco would always be annoyed with Harry's existence. She's an unregistered animagus. We've known about her since fourth year. He exchanged looks with Hermione. Registering would call into question how long she's been able to turn into a beetle, which could lead to time in Azkaban for being unregistered. It's easier for her to stay secret, and she knows this. She'll keep quiet about whatever she's seen to protect her own skin. We're the only ones who know, but what Percy can do is issue Hermione's statement through her. Why would he do that? Pansy asked brashly. Let her rot. The small noise Draco made spoke of his argument. Harry opened his mouth to explain, but Percy's eyes widened. He must have figured it out. Perfect. 
Percy looked as though he were already planning his next move. "'It'll give her the attention she wants. And perhaps she'll finally agree to what I've been asking her to do since June.' "'What's that?' "'Attend one of Tiberius's closed-door meetings as herself.' October 11th, 2011. Draco had been tense from the moment they left the house after lunch, and when she asked about it, he brushed her off. I'm fine. Hermione let it go, mostly. She kept her eye on him the entire ride after strapping the puzzled Scorpius into the booster seat of the hired car. Draco tapped his finger on his thigh after the driver pulled out of the driveway, but said nothing else, sneaking glances at his son, whose eyes were glued to the city beyond the glass forever intrigued by a world he was unfamiliar with, one he was protected from. Scorpius turned abruptly and signed that he was hungry. We're nearly there. Dinner was in a cozy muggle restaurant, upscale, private, and not at all kid-friendly. The meal ended up being an experiment in vegetarian dining. The service was impeccable, likely driven by the air of wealth Draco exuded, and the meal was delicious. To her surprise, Scorpius tried everything— even foods outside of his known list of likes. It was a far cry from the boy who was as picky as his father only a few months ago. Draco spent most of dinner watching them as well as the door to their private dining area, forever on guard. Hermione sighed. Would you relax if I told you to? No. She laughed at his petulant tone. What if Scorpius told you to? Father and son exchanged looks across the table, before Scorpius rubbed his hands together and signed the word, Calm, with a stern expression. A deep chuckle and smile were covered by Draco's fist as he looked off to the side. It worked, somewhat. Hermione noticed the slight shift. At the restaurant, Draco had kept one hand free to reach for the wand inside his jacket. But later, as they walked down the street, when Scorpius tugged him in the direction of street artists and vendors— he held his son's hand and they slowly began to explore. They visited each stall, and it wasn't long before they both realized Scorpius was looking for something. Not long after, he found it in the form of a wooden locket charm that opened to reveal an antique compass. When his son tried to pay with a familiar lone galleon, Draco actually smirked before whispering something to him and offering the vendor several notes instead. They presented it to her. A gift. A guide. A way home, should she ever get lost. Hermione kept it close, and was still looking at it during their ride to their last destination. London traffic was heavier later in the day, but the sudden stops and blowing horns went unnoticed by Scorpius, who enjoyed every bit of the ride. His feet dangled and his eyes stayed glued on the passing cars, buses, buildings, and people. But Draco resumed tapping his fingers until Hermione assuaged the nerves he would never confess to having— by placing the compass into her beaded bag and covering her hands with his. You're nervous. I ride in cars as infrequently as I take Scorpius out without security. Today he had done both, for her. Hermione said nothing. A chill was in the air, and sunset was underway, when she and Draco took their places as east and west amongst tourists and locals alike. Forever polar opposites, they were held together by Scorpius who stood on the line that separated the two directions, and took each of them by the hand outside of the royal observatory. "'You know this isn't the real spot, right?' Draco broke the lingering silence between them, as they sat on the bench and watched Scorpius jump back and forth across the line. "'It's a hundred yards east.' "'I know, but he's just a kid. Let him enjoy this,' Hermione grinned. "'He looks happy.' "'He truly did.' 
His eyes were just as bright as they were when they pulled vegetables. We can stay here a while. Or we can take him to the planetarium. Oh, Hermione was startled at the sudden thought. Yes, we can. The following walk ended in front of a lone attendant standing next to the sold-out sign. Maybe next. No need. Draco presented three tickets to the woman, and she let them in with a nod and a smile. I bought every seat in the house. Hermione didn't stop staring until they were seated in the empty planetarium. They were still early for the show, and from their reclined seats they watched the projected nighttime sky on the ceiling as they waited. Hermione pointed out a few constellations, but overall was torn between watching Draco and the universe that opened in Scorpius's eyes. Fatigue rolled in, and Hermione found herself dozing, lulled by the darkness and the bits of words squished between short pauses. A story of golden apples and the dragon who guarded them with its life. Draco. October 14, 2011. Hermione stared at the target. Inhaled. Exhaled. She tightened her grip on her wand, which felt as unfamiliar as the new hand she carried it in an impulsive suggestion from one of their nocturnal conversations the week before. Magic was more than saying spells correctly. The effectiveness of a cast could be hindered by something as little as the wrong flick of her wrist. Hermione had avoided the issue with simple wandless spells thus far, but she was itching to try again, even if it meant swapping to her left hand until the other recovered. A problem in the shape of Draco Malfoy, his warm presence at her back, his hand on one elbow keeping it steady, and the other on her waist, made things a little difficult. You're tense. The truth was a murmur, but Draco might as well have been shouting for how close his lips were to her ear. You're distracting me, and I think you're doing it on purpose. Am I? Hermione turned her head away from the Fabergé egg she was levitating. You know I'm nervous about the battery of tests today. She told him as much. The ability to magically travel, at least by flu, would make things easier and leave her feeling less confined. She could go back and forth from home without making another drive, visit others. It wasn't much, but even a bit of independence went a long way. Besides, Padma was cleared yesterday. She rolled her sore shoulder. I don't think I can go home just yet, but it was nice being there again. I miss it. Hermione missed more than that but it sounded too ungrateful in her own head to even mention it. Her time here was bittersweet, and while parts of her eagerly counted down the days until she could resume her life, a piece of her thought about how empty her house was now, and wondered if it would be even emptier with just her in it. The option to leave and return as she used to remained, but it was different to wake to the sounds of Draco in the shower, or go to sleep with the teacup he started leaving at her bedside each night to help her sleep. There was something settling about her routine she had with Narcissa, braiding her hair and peeking into the library where the kids were learning. Watching Catherine handle lunch with four children became just as much of a humorous highlight as Draco backing out of the room upon spotting Albus. Not that I don't appreciate... Granger. Hmm? Shut up. Draco cupped her jaw and brought his lips to hers in a lingering kiss. Slow deliberation set the tone as he worked her mouth open. But before he could snog the words from her mind, Hermione pulled back, resting her heels on the ground. "'You kissed me already today.' This morning, in fact, right after she'd soaked with the smelly concoction Susan had given her to help soothe her skin. Draco had taken a look at her side, because he had a better view than her, and though it was only the second morning, it was already beginning to hurt less. It felt like a sign that a solution had been found.' 
Once finished, Draco had stepped between her parted legs, pulled her to the edge of the counter, and kissed her until she forgot all about Susan's orders. They were increasingly more difficult to adhere to, even now. Draco rolled his eyes. It was hard to tell if he was humored or annoyed. You would note the pattern of how often I kiss you, but neglect to ask why I'm breaking routine. Hermione had a list of proverbial whys. Unspoken acknowledgments had been the answer to the small touches of intimacy Hermione quietly looked forward to each day. It was the only thing she'd been able to handle over the course of the last few weeks, when she had no capacity to separate, analyze, rationalize, or consider. But now? Things weren't different, per se. Only a month had passed since the attack, but there were rumblings she could no longer ignore. The beast of a thought that had been burdened at the bottom of a deep grave of emotions— Everything had been calling it to the surface in whispers she could barely hear, but they were getting louder. Each day, each interaction. She would be ready when it finally broke ground. Or maybe not. Arguments? Draco's question was spoken against her cheek. Plenty. She fixed her eyes on him. But they're a bit jumbled. Then enjoy the change in routine. Hermione thought the moment was over. Draco would return to the office for the rest of the day, and she would watch his back as he went. But he picked up where she'd interrupted, kissing her in that languid pace of his that made her insides tighten, mind numb, and nerve endings burn. His hands returned to her face, and his thumb swiped her cheek while Hermione stepped closer, moving her lips with his, enjoying the moment, getting her fill until the next break from his routine. As dangerous as this was, like iron smelting in a forge— Kissing Draco felt safe. He never pushed for more than she offered. No expectations, no promises, no responsibilities. They found intrinsic simplicity in touch. Each time it was harder to stop, to step back, and to prevent herself from selfishly taking more. She wanted more. Feeling less frustrated? The truth was too complex to discuss when only thirty minutes remained before Susan's arrival. Yes, she was frustrated— but it had nothing to do with recovery. Hermione was improving in all areas tested, including lung function. If she ignored the bad news about her hand and the persistent fatigue, it left her to focus on the good, which was only made better after her first supervised attempt to flu. Hermione wouldn't soon forget the surprised gasp from Sax and Narcissa when she stepped out of the latter's fireplace, or the fact that they both looked elated. Despite her slight disorientation, Susan provided her a seal of approval as long as she limited her use until she felt stronger. It seemed a fair trade. This was the first hurdle of many of her journey back to normality, a win that reinforced everything she knew about long-term recovery. Patience and time would heal. After a meditative session with Susan, Hermione took to the outdoors to sit at the table. Protected by charms, she watched the rainfall as a storm rolled through the city. But not alone. Padma was with her, sipping tea. Before long, they were joined by Ginny, who was early picking up the kids after lessons, and Pansy, who seemed to take a moment to inhale, and— This is boring! The sulk in Pansy's tone matched her folded arms. It's humid out, and I want a normal girl's night. One with more fire whiskey and less trauma, thanks. I don't see why we can't have one, Padma shrugged. Is Harry home? All attention shifted to Ginny. He's there now, making dinner. Excellent! Padma rubbed her hands together. We can have takeaway and talk. 
Blaze won't mind a night alone. I'm sure Luna will join, too. And Susan and Pavardi are at work, but they'll come around after if we call. This was quickly taking shape along with Pansy's evil grin, that died rapidly. You better not invite fucking Cho! Padma smiled with all her teeth. You know I am. I hate this place! They all laughed, and Hermione realized it had been too long since they had been together like this. She couldn't help but feel sentimental. She missed them. You in, Hermione? They all looked hopeful. I am, but it'll be odd to do this here in their living room. Actually, Pansy rose to her feet, looking supremely proud of herself, I was thinking something different. They ended up in a magical tent Zippy had set up in the garden, much larger on the inside. The roof was clear, like her conservatory, and gave a view of the night's stormy sky. There was more than enough room for everyone to sleep, but for now they were in the center of the vast main area of the tent, surrounded by pillows and blankets, and eating takeaway. Ginny, Luna, and Susan drank brew, Pansy and Pravati indulged in fire whiskey, and Hermione, along with Cho and Padma, were strictly on water. A choice for one. Healer's orders for the other two. Padma sighed longingly at Luna's apple brew. "'How long will you both be on the potions?' Cho asked. "'I'm weaning Padma off already, except for the ones that control her migraines.' Susan examined a chicken leg before putting it on her plate. "'Hermione has a few more weeks. Oh, I forgot to ask earlier, but how's the new balm?' "'So far it's good.' Truthfully, she hadn't been bothered all day. Draco hates the smell, but he can see the difference in the rash already. I don't think the scars are going anywhere, but that's not my concern. Keep using it for another week and let me know. Before Hermione could respond, Parvati held up a finger as she chewed her chicken wing and swallowed quickly. They all waited for her to speak, but she chased her food with another shot of fire whiskey first. Hermione had already ruled herself out of helping her to bed with the injured wrist, but the others were silently declaring themselves not it. Padma was losing by birthright. Um, finally, Parvati fixed her attention on Hermione. How exactly would Malfoy know? Everyone except Cho, who appeared equally as confused, just stared at her. What? Luna leaned over and loudly whispered to Pansy. I think it's the Nargles. The witch nearly choked on her food. Susan looked to be questioning Parvati's intelligence. They're obviously a thing. They are? Pravati's eyes widened. You are? We... Is it because he's been helping you since your injury? Cho asked, and Pansy instantly looked ready to throw something at her. What? It's a valid question. Did you really just suggest Hermione has some sort of Stockholm Syndrome? I didn't say that, Cho argued. Besides, you're mixing syndromes because that's not Stockholm Syndrome. It's called Florence Nightingale Effect, and neither apply, actually. Hermione picked at the rice she wasn't certain she could eat. Anyway, who wants this? I'm not hungry. Susan took the dish. Fencing had left her starved. Speaking of relationships that should be admitted, I'm sure you're all wondering. Percy and I are fine. Ginny made a face. Did you really just arrange an entire girl's night to talk about my brother? Maybe, but I offered the information, so I'll be taking this moment into therapy on Monday. Apparently I need to be more open about my relationships, so here I am, being open. It sounded like her own personal brand of torture. That's... Cho's smile spread slowly. That's actually really sweet. Sort of, Ginny said. Pansy looked downright pleasant. I could traumatize you with the stories of our sex life to keep things balanced. 
Gods, no! Fortunately for you, Pansy said as her leer faded, I don't have many additional stories. We haven't done that since the incident at my birthday party. Figuring out how to love him while wrestling with the very idea has crippled my libido. The attack, Hermione being kidnapped by a deranged werewolf, and losing limbs doesn't help. Sorry? Hermione blinked. Sounds complicated. The comment earned Cho a look that wasn't a glare. Hmm. Parvati picked up another wing, bobbing along to whatever song was stuck in her head. I didn't think there was anything to figure out. You just do. Or is that a song? Clearly, you've never been in love. Pansy's sigh was needlessly dramatic. But I can't judge. Neither have I. Wait, you were married? Pansy took another shot of fire whiskey and quickly followed it with one more before wincing and pushing the bottle away. She was done for the night. I've said it before. Love isn't a requirement for pure-blood marriages. Sometimes it happens over time. Other times you leave with nothing except the clothes on your back and just to get away. So I'm learning this time around, but also horrified at myself for being a fucking cliché and falling for the first man to catch my eye. Pansy scoffed. How embarrassing. But I suppose I could have done worse. A lot worse. I'm still trying to find the part where you compliment my brother. I haven't run. Again. There's the compliment. Pansy's face softened just a bit. He was with me when I found out about the hospital attack. Draco might have kept everything together for you, but Percy kept me together while I made decisions for you. Weasley was here handling all the kids. Ginny let out a hard sigh and told the tale of several excruciatingly long days. Hermione. There was a pause and a look passed over Pansy's features. If you get hurt like that again, I'll strangle you myself. Same for you, Patil. Okay. She and Padma replied with mutual looks then small laughs, leaning against each other. Same. Ginny raised her chicken wing and pointed it at them. That goes for you both. Goes for you all. Susan took a swig of her beer. I'm not in the mood to reattach my friends. They all toasted to that. And each other. Hours passed with sarcastic comments, conversation, music, and food. Plenty of laughter erupted from Ginny, Parvati, and Pansy as they attempted to outdrink one another. A bad decision that may have seemed right at the time, but left Cho taking the lead to care for them while Padma and Hermione played backup. Susan and Luna went to digest in peace, the latter using the excuse to braid the former's hair. A few levitating charms was all it took to tuck the three inebriated witches into the largest bed in the tent. Something inside Hermione unraveled, as her thoughts receded to the back of her mind. When she and Padma were lying on the blankets between Luna and Susan, looking up at the sky, it seemed as though the last bits of tension were finally unwinding. Not forgotten, but serving as another thread that fortified their bond. "'I said yes to eloping on Saturday,' Padma whispered in the silence. "'Blaze, what?' Cho squealed so loud that they all cautiously looked at the sleeping witches, but none had moved. "'Where? What do we wear? What time? What—' Padma just laughed until she clutched her sides and Hermione watched. She looked so happy. "'Hermione's greenhouse. Ten in the morning. Since we're still doing the family wedding as planned, we just want it casual. As for the rest, I don't care. I'm just ready to get married. Finally!' "'We can do hair,' Cho prattled on, clearly thrilled for her best friend. "'Oh, and can I do your makeup? I—' "'No. No makeup.' Contentment relaxed Padma, and her soft smile spread. I'll marry him just as I am. That was one of his two requests. He loves my scars and doesn't want me to cover it up. 
Everything fell into a silence, buzzing with excitement. Given the continued conversation, Hermione felt it more than anyone. It left her restless with a burning desire to speak and know and learn. She had to ask. How? A familiar flush of panic and tightness in her chest made her rethink. Never mind. The topic was too tender. She curled her fist against her chest and tried to beg the stars to answer her silent question, but they didn't respond. It left her wide awake as conversation meandered from one topic to the next. One by one, they each fell asleep, curled together, covered in blankets, and surrounded by pillows. The last to go was Padma, who tossed and turned. Her eyes were shut when she turned towards Hermione. "'Can't sleep?' "'No. It's easier to sleep when I'm pissed.' Her last words, before her breathing even, kept Hermione awake. It's hard to sleep without him. An hour passed with her staring at the waning gibbous moon, when she made the decision to extract herself from Padma's grip and wander from the tent back into the house. Hermione started to check in on Scorpius before she remembered he was sleeping over with Albus. It was before midnight, so she continued to the office where she thought she might find Draco working or researching but the room was empty and devoid of movement beyond the diamonds hovering over the map. A slow trip up the steps left her winded and tired by the time she opened the door to the guest room, where Draco was not asleep. The lights were on, and he was laying on his back, shirtless, wearing his glasses and reading in bed with one hand behind his head. His gray eyes cut to her immediately, and Hermione shut the door behind her with a gentle click before crossing the room. "'Everyone's asleep?' Yes, but not you. Hermione could hear her labored breathing while changing out of her pajamas and into the shirt he routinely brought but never wore. I'm fine. She didn't need to look to know he was carefully watching her. Just winded. Turning around only confirmed it, but she rolled her eyes and crawled into bed. Sitting up, she crossed her legs and faced him, and placed her fist on the sheet between them. I went to your office first. I thought she might be there working or sleeping. You looked at the map? Draco put down his book and sat up fully, extending his hand and waiting for her to offer her closed fist in return. For a bit. I'm forever curious. She hissed when he tried to slowly work her hand open. Been like that for a few hours. That you said nothing with your healer in the same tent is another one of your aggravating qualities. I have many. Hermione gave a shrug that caused the oversized shirt to slip from her shoulder. Most annoy you. Draco didn't disagree. Hermione's smile withered when he began massaging the tension out of the base of her palm just to get her fingers to relax enough to open. The feeling in it hadn't improved. Hermione could only frown and grit her teeth as he diligently stretched open each finger, slipping his between each to roll her wrist. He'd been doing it nightly without fail. After he finally massaged her palm open all the way, Hermione laid down for Draco to look her over. She knew he was looking at all her hot spots for rashes and lingering bruises. The last of them had finally faded. But that didn't stop him from touching the spots where the marks had once been, invisible to everyone except him. You know, Hermione's voice dragged his eyes from his neck to her face, I'm starting to not believe it when you say you're not a romantic man. I'm not. Nothing I've done is romantic. Hermione scoffed. If not, what is it then? A duty. Draco ran a thumb up the scar on her leg. A decision. She shivered when he kissed the fading splinch marks on her fingers. 
a choice. It wasn't until Draco's arms were wrapped around her, and his breathing deepened with sleep's arrival, that Hermione finally joined him, and gave herself to the rest that had been running from her all night. She felt as though she was falling in all the ways a human could, but sleep came the quickest. October 19th, 2011 Love is more than a word and the feelings that accompany it. Rings exchanged, vows made, love like the hum of magic was unmistakable. A tangible pressure, alive and free, held Hermione's emotions as tightly as Scorpius held her hand. She was sitting amongst friends in the half-circle around the couple standing under the hanging vines, and bathed by the morning sun pouring into the greenhouse. She peeked over at Albus, who was swinging his legs in jittery energy, then James, who was sitting between her and Ron. They exchanged smiles when he mouthed that he was bored. Her eyes caught on Ron as he affectionately ruffled his nephew's hair, gaze sweeping to her before moving on to the couple. Hermione did the same. It is more than patience and takes more than strength. All eyes had been on Padma since she entered the greenhouse, arm in arm with Cho, and dressed in ivory and lavender flowers woven intricately into her braid. But the bride's eyes hadn't strayed from one man. Blaze. Little nods, choked-up laughs, and wide smiles passed between them while Kingsley blessed the union both with magic and words of wisdom. Love is more than time. The incandescent glow of the cords wrapped around their joined hands served as a representation of the love and devotion that bound them together, not only in the moment, but for the rest of their lives. Hermione's eyes slipped to Neville and Luna. They were looking around the decorated greenhouse with twin-pleased smiles, no doubt proud of their hard work that morning. Lily's eyes were also wandering around the room while sitting on her mother's lap, and then her gaze meandered over to Scorpius, who tilted his head past the groom to the man behind him, his father. Love is more than learning and communication, whose eyes were now on them. For a moment, Hermione allowed herself to look. Draco was surrounded by greenery, under the glow of the sun, and not wearing anything black. Gray trousers and tie, white shirt, fitted navy vest, last button unfastened. In more than monochrome, Draco should have blended in. Blue, gray, and green always worked harmoniously. But he stood out to her. More than ever. Love is more than a mystery. Minutes ticked by, but they held each other's gaze as if passing a flickering flame between them in the midst of a storm. What should have been extinguished by a number of outside forces burned on. Burned brighter. Love just... is... Applause and cheers sent them hurling back into the moment as their friends kissed for the first time as husband and wife. Still scattered by the exchange, Hermione shook it off and joined the others, all smiles and joy. Charmed flower petals followed the couple from the makeshift altar under vines and out the door, where they would spend their first moments of marriage alone. Everyone else got to work. They created a table large enough for everyone to sit comfortably cast spells on the wireless to play music, and move the chairs into place around the table. Zippy appeared with a pop and set a prepared meal in each place. By the time Blaze and Padma returned, hand in hand, everyone was arranged around the decorated table, waiting to celebrate. The children, minus Halia, who stared wide-eyed at anyone not familiar, had a little table of their own. They all seemed content with it after Al made it known that his seat would be between James and Scorpius. Lily remained unbothered as long as she had food, which was plentiful. 
Padma radiated happiness, and Blaze looked at his wife with clear adoration. As Hermione scanned the large table, she reflected on how much her circle had grown and changed. Those who had always been there were still present, even more in the last month, and bonds had strengthened, changed, and grown between others. And their relationships had naturally shifted amongst each other, though she hadn't noticed the changes as they happened. Percy was integrated in the group, and Pansy only shook her fist at Ron once. Blaze, Dean, and Harry got along so well as the latter two welcomed the former into the married club. Susan and Padma expressed interest in Kingsley's bee farm. Neville and Theo had similar taste in music, and Daphne was finally ready to rejoin Girls' Night. Ron and Cho discovered their mutual love for losing teams while Halia was passed around. She'd settled with Andromeda and a bottle while Luna looked on, just as enamored with the baby as the baby was with her leaf earrings. And then there was Draco. Often detached and quiet in a group setting, today Draco was engaging outside of his core set of friends. No argument passed between him and Ron, just looks and general ignorance of the other's presence. It was honestly better than anyone could have hoped for. What once was only a hint of friendship between Draco and Percy had bloomed, evidenced in the familiar way they spoke and the casual volley of questions between them. He and Dean treaded lightly around a conversation on muggle sports, and nearly the entire table fell silent when Draco mentioned liking cricket, then quieter still when Dean's invitation to golf with him and Neville one day was not declined. "'I'll think about it.' The response may have been tentative, but it sounded like acceptance. For them both. Draco remained at her side while Blaze and Padma danced together on the makeshift dance floor, between four columns wrapped in flowery vines. The sun was still rising in the peak of the day. Music floated through the speakers, and when the song ended and others started to split off and join, it was a sign that festivities had truly begun. Everyone started to break off. Some danced, others chatted, and the kids alternated between playing and running around the greenhouse. Lily toddled after them until she gave up and started picking the flowers, then running from her dad when he noticed. Her peals of laughter rang out above them all as she dodged him like a snitch. Hermione circled between talking, dancing, and sitting. She was dancing with Neville when Ron cut in. "'You look beautiful.' The compliment made her look over at Neville, who was laughing with Ginny as they danced. She didn't know how to respond in a way that wouldn't dissolve into an argument. "'I didn't say that as—' Ron's exhale was laden with frustration. "'I mean, I'm trying to be your friend. Just your friend.' Maybe it was the polite distance between them as they swayed to the music— Maybe it was the fact that his hand and eyes weren't low, but something in his voice and demeanor made her believe him. She wanted to start anew. How have you been? Hermione hadn't seen him much during her recovery. Despite Molly's semi-regular visits, Harry said Ron didn't feel comfortable at the Malfoys' home, which made sense. The suspension of hostilities between him and Draco seemed tenuous at best. Proximity would only challenge it. Break it. I've been good. Ron was vague, but not leading. You're better than I last saw you. Getting there. She remembered something. Thanks for what you did for my parents. Thanks for telling them everything. I had... Didn't think it would be easy for you to talk about. And when I realized they didn't know, I just... He half shrugged. I thought you needed a little help. I only just told Mom last year about leaving you and Harry in the forest. Hard to talk about some moments that aren't your proudest. There were several of those between them, and had nothing to do with the war. But the song ended, and Ron left. Curiously, she watched him go, until Draco caught her eye. He was approaching her, 
but Theo intercepted him, gesturing that they needed a word. Before she could wonder or even leer at Pansy, who had been dragged onto the dance floor by Percy, Luna was there and dramatically bowed to ask for the next dance. She accepted. "'You'll be next, I think.' There was zero reaction time to Luna's cryptic comment before her friend spun her around in a disoriented circle, made laughable and chaotic by the degree of Hermione's dip due to their similar height. "'Ah, summer!' Hermione was confused. "'Luna, it's autumn.' "'We can dance with the fairies.' Luna acted like she hadn't said a word. "'It's October.' "'When the apothecary's rose blooms.' "'What?' Luna flitted off before Hermione could figure out what she was on about, and she shook her head at her strange friend, chuckled, then returned to the table where Padma was sitting for the first time. She was watching Blaze dance with Daphne, who was speaking seriously to him while he nodded along, likely giving the groom some advice. She was good like that. Padma reached over and covered her hand, and they looked around in silence at their friends. "'Susan's clearing me to go on very light duty.' Padma's revelation caused a gasp to escape Hermione without warning. I know, but it's two-hour shift twice a week in the accidental magic clinic. I asked for it, but now I'm thinking I don't want to be there alone. I can keep you company, purely observational. Padma gave her a look of disbelief. I doubt you're ready to set foot in St. Mungo's. I'm just getting used to casting with my left hand, and my right, though she hadn't worn her sling since yesterday— there were little signs of improvement. No, I'm not ready to go back in any capacity, but I don't think I'll have an issue keeping you company while you reverse accidental charms. We'll talk it over with Susan, but nothing's set in stone until I get back. We're going to Mallorca for a week to get away. I... Padma paused, and her eyes lifted over Hermione. He doesn't keep too far, does he? No. Hermione knew who she was referring to without turning. He doesn't. Draco was like that. Close, but not. When she danced with Neville, he was speaking with Pansy in the corner. When she was talking to Ron and Susan, Draco, who had taken a cranky Halia from her mother and was walking around the greenhouse with her, was followed by Albus, who froze each time he looked over his shoulder. Like a game. After leaving Padma, when Cho sat at the other side, Hermione drifted from conversation to conversation, substituting one lingering Malfoy with the other. Scorpius. Mostly, he'd been entertained with the Potters, by his father's side, or, on one memorable occasion, comparing bow ties with Percy, but sometimes he would drift to her side, linger a bit, and leave. The third time he did it, she was sitting at the table with Ron, Cho, and Parvati, who was in the middle of dramatically declaring herself dead from the sight of Draco, with a sleeping baby, while talking to Andromeda and Kingsley. Hermione could relate. Not that she admitted such a thing in Ron's presence— especially with the way he was side-eyeing Parvati. Cho smiled at Blaze and Padma, who were back to dancing, surrounded by various couples of their friends. The song ended and Scorpius returned to her side again. Hi. Hermione straightened his striped bow tie, once again ignoring how similarly dressed he and Draco were. Only where his father wore gray, Scorpius was in khaki. And when he blushed fiercely and fled to his aunt's side— she and Daphne exchanged curious looks from where she was chatting with Luna and Dean. They both shrugged when he buried his face in her dress. Ron asked Cho to dance during the confusing exchange, and they were gone. But shortly after, Hermione settled back in her chair. Pravati's squeak served as a warning of Draco's approach. He sat next to Hermione after adjusting Halia in his arms. She didn't look at all pleased about being moved, but she settled quickly. 
breathing deeply with her fingers in her mouth and drooling on his shoulder. Hermione fixed the back of her dress where it had ruffled up. "'Love the new look for you,' Pravati blurted out in something close to a yell. They both turned back to her. "'New look?' Draco dripped sarcasm and Hermione nearly elbowed him. "'Do you know?' she gesticulated wildly in his direction. "'From the black.' "'It's a wedding.' He gave her a blank look. "'Who wears black to a wedding?' That made Hermione recoil. "'Who wears—' "'You wore black to a solstice party!' "'I didn't have time to change.' "'Wait, you would have worn color?' Pravati looked like she was imagining it. Hermione tried to as well, albeit quietly, not at all thinking about how that night had ended. "'No.' Pravati's smile fell, and Hermione warmed above a chuckle. "'I'll hold Halia,' Pravati opened her arms. "'That way you two can dance the next one.' She and Draco exchanged looks. "'Would you?' "'Do you even dance?' Hermione regretted the question when his playful expression dimmed. It made her scramble. "'I would, but no pressure.' Draco's eyes shifted from her to another sight that gave her pause. Scorpius had returned, shuffling from foot to foot, and opening and closing his fist at his side. All clear signs of anxiety. The only thing that kept her from worrying was when he looked over his shoulder at Albus, who gave him a go-on gesture, before looking around and running in the direction of Ginny and James.' He joined them, and they both dragged her out to the dance floor, where Harry was already twirling a laughing lily around in his arms. Scorpius bravely stepped closer, lifting his hands to sign his question. Dance. Then he offered his hand, and looked at her with sincerity in his big blue eyes. Oh. All of his oddities from earlier made perfect sense. Hermione looked at Draco. Do you mind? I don't. His small, warm look told her he meant it. Then, yes, she turned back to Scorpius and accepted his offered hand. I would love to dance. The walk to the floor was quick, but when they got there and faced each other, Scorpius started looking around, trying to figure out what to do next. Al and James were revolving around Ginny as if she were the sun, and Harry was dangling Lily by her arms. The music was much too slow for their chaos. With her hand, both options weren't possible but then she slowly opened the other hand and asked for his, despite the pain. From there, they held hands and swayed to the beat of the song. Scorpius laughed the first time she showed him how to spin around. It was easy to get lost in dancing. Songs blurred together as Albus and James joined them, then Lily. Soon Hermione was locked in a circle of children on the dance floor, laughing with them, enjoying herself, and accepting each and every hug given. Lily gave her a fistful of petals she'd smuggled in the pockets of her dress. Thanks? The toddler meowed. It wasn't until the music stopped and the newlyweds thanked everyone for sharing this day with them that Hermione realized the opportunity had passed. Looking around, she had to lean before she spotted Draco by the window, alone, watching everyone with an even expression. And then it was over. Blaze and Padma had gone to the Zabini Manor to spend the rest of their first day as husband and wife together. Everyone showered them in flower petals until they made it out the door, and then all worked together and started cleaning up the greenhouse. The potters were the first to leave. Lily was tired after an afternoon of dancing, eating, and general chaos, but the boys were energetic and eager for a cartoon film that Hermione knew they wouldn't finish. Al and James begged for Scorpius to come along, and she figured Draco had agreed when she spied him kneeling in front of his son, signing and speaking to the nodding boy, and then accepting his abrupt hug— 
It lasted so long the potters were gathered and waiting for him by the door of the greenhouse when he finally pulled away. Scorpius then rushed over to Hermione for a hug that didn't last nearly as long before he left. He looked back once at them both. Draco remained kneeled, blinking in surprise, long after Scorpius was gone. An hour later, the greenhouse was back to its pre-wedding condition, and everyone had said their goodbyes. Not quite ready to leave, Hermione took a slow walk around, taking note of all the changes that had occurred in the last month. The growth, the new additions Neville had brought in, the newly planted almond tree he'd quietly gifted her. There were other plants she had no recollection of, too, but she didn't have time to figure out their origins, distracted instead by the defiant summer plants that showed no signs of going dormant for the impending winter. Odd. Hermione wondered if it was time to expand, if she'd grown out of the space as it was. Hard to believe it had changed so much since she'd planted her first seeds with the hope of filling the bare space with life. And now, through the care of others, it was flourishing. There was a ribbon left behind on the branch of one of the trees, high enough for her to need the stepstool in order to pull it down. She still had to reach, and the tips of her fingers were almost there when hands settled on her waist. Kept her steady. Hermione didn't jolt, only slowly turned to find they were face to face. "'I thought you'd gone to the brewing room.' "'I did.' He reached up and pulled the ribbon down with ease. "'Then I came back to find you. "'I thought you'd be finished exploring by now. "'There are new plants I haven't seen before. "'I believe you owe me a dance.' Draco helped her off the stool and didn't let her hand go. "'I do,' Hermione blinked at him. "'But there isn't any music.' Draco insisted, in that stoic way of his, and she relented. Surrounded by lush greenery, and under the warm rays of the sun as it began its descent, they moved to the music of silence, undisturbed until their shadows stretched under the setting sun, more swaying than actual dancing, more fragments of words than actual conversation. His hand remained a presence on the small of her back, and hers stayed entwined in his once he'd worked her fingers open. At some point, Hermione rested her head on his chest, closed her eyes, and inhaled, not ready for the inevitable end. Are you staying here tonight? No, Hermione lifted her head. At least, not alone. There it was again, the same thing that had been there for days and weeks and months. Just beneath the surface, palpable tension mixed with the portent of everything unspoken. I shouldn't. Gray eyes moved away, only returning when she tightened her grip on his shirt. Why? You're under Healer's orders, and I'm... I'm selfish. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. When her hand wandered down the center of his back, skimming the tops of his belt and changing the implication of their dance, Draco's eyebrows rose slowly in interest. I think with how much time you give to others, and how little time you devote to yourself, I have a hard time finding fault in you for that. Hermione stepped closer heart speeding up as the air between them thickened. Have you done anything truly selfish? Not for anyone else. Not to attain any goal. Just for you. Twice. Draco let go of her hand, and when his fingers skimmed the strap of her pale yellow dress, all pretense of innocuous dancing dissolved. The first attempt didn't work out in my favor. And the second? Hmm. Draco's expression was indecipherable. I'm still trying to figure it out. Hermione was used to him being cryptic, but that didn't stop her from attempting to decode his message anyway. And you? 
The question was breathed against her hairline, in a voice so low it sent sparks through her veins. When have you done something selfish? I don't know. It would have been easy to step back after the confession, but his hand at the curve of her spine kept her in place. Heat flared when it moved lower, and his touch was firmer as his lips grazed her ear. It's... It's been a long time since I've wanted anything that wasn't a necessity. That implies you want something you don't think you should. And if I do? Hermione leaned back just enough for her to catch the bob of his Adam's apple as he swallowed. I have rules. I believe even when you commented on the fact that everything in my garden serves a purpose. But rules are just that. Rules. And sometimes they're meant to be broken. Is that what you want? That depends. Hermione toyed with the unfastened button on his vest. Are you going to tell me no? The walk back to the house was electric with unspoken desire. Passing exchanges and brushing hands, tension dissipated in a thunderclap of emotion as soon as they passed through the conservatory's threshold. Frenetic kisses and moans, whispered directions and touches, untucked and unbuttoned clothing. They were speeding along until a lone discussion point stopped him. I didn't bring anything. I'm on the potion. Have been since he swallowed the rest of her words. Soon, Hermione was too busy holding on, and molding her body to his as they kissed in all the ways that proved he'd been holding back. Pleasure spiked heat and pain from the first clack of teeth. Hermione was just as urgent, eager, and willing to allow him the access he clearly wanted. Licking into her mouth, Draco teased her tongue with his, and she found the more her hands had been searching for, by reaching into already unfastened trousers and wrapping a hand around his cock. They both gasped when she started stroking, reacquainting herself with the weight of him in her palm. Draco hissed the first time his hips moved on their own, and wrapped a shaky hand around her arm. Wait. He broke their kiss once more, that time with a deep sigh as he nipped her lip. They were forehead to forehead, nose to nose. Take it slow. I thought we were being selfish. We are. Let me go first. She led the way to the chaise, only letting go long enough for Draco to follow through with her first request. Take everything off. There was a little preamble in how Draco undressed, but Hermione watched every step until he stood before her wearing nothing except ink on his skin. She resumed touching him, hands and lips roaming every place she could reach, before giving him the nudge to sit, then standing between his open legs. A light flush tinged his cheeks, but Draco looked at her with blatant want in his eyes, chest rising and falling, tongue sweeping across his bottom lip as he fixed his mouth to speak, but everything died when she sank to her knees. Fuck, Granger, you don't. I want to. Draco looked like he'd swallowed his tongue when she gripped the base and tasted him for the first time. It was different. Awkward. But there was something intoxicating about the intensity rolling off of him. Something addicting about the feel of his cock on her tongue. The thickness. The taste. Something heady about the single, choked-off moan that escaped his lips. The combination made all hesitation dissolve into ash. Hermione moved in earnest, building to a rhythm that had her hollowing her cheeks on every pull. A hand gripped the edge of the chaise tightly, and the other came to the back of her head. Success could be measured in many ways— but Hermione judged hers by the frequency and intensity of the obscenities Draco couldn't help but utter. 
praises a man could only give when he was on the verge of losing his mind. His blissed-out face unconsciously rocking hips, and heavy breathing drowned out every shred of residual insecurity as she dragged him closer to the edge. Hermione couldn't look away. She didn't want to. And he couldn't either. The first time she squeezed the base of his cock and took him in deep enough for the tip to touch the back of her throat, Draco shook and his mouth fell open, even as he tried to pull away. Fuck, I'm... Her slight nod sent him reeling. Every careful action was driven by pure need. Strokes quickened, her jaw sore and aching, but Hermione was too determined to stop. Draco broke eye contact once to throw his head back. The sight made Hermione clench her thighs and moan around his cock. He dropped his head, gripped her chin, and held her there as he broke with her name on his lips, before it faded into a guttural groan. She swallowed everything he gave. When she wobbled to her feet, feeling disoriented, a curving hand around her waist brought her closer. Draco angled her head to kiss her, but she leaned away. I don't give a fuck about that. Lips captured hers and released. Then again. Bolder and deeper, Draco seemed to search her mouth for every hint of himself before pulling away. My turn. His whisper was harsh and ragged. Turn around. For once, Hermione did what she was told, with no argument, biting her lip in anticipation. Draco tilted her head to the side, and lips grazing her neck, before easing one strap off her shoulder. Then the other. Soon she was just as bare as him. Reverent kisses left currents of heat that shifted as he moved. His lips skimmed every scar, and paid homage to every flaw. Murmured words slid against her skin, like a promise Hermione let him keep with a sigh as she closed her eyes and let go. Draco picked her up like she weighed nothing, before laying her on the chaise. His hands were worshipped in touch. His mouth poured praise. Licking, sucking, and caressing, she felt lightheaded in the ways she hadn't been in so long. Molten lava pooled between her legs at the mere thought of more. Draco spread her thighs and settled between them. It was instinct, the way she opened for him, and there was purpose in the tilt of her hips. A sharp inhale was loud in the silence as his lips burned her skin everywhere they touched, and he worked a finger inside her wet cunt. His kisses drew closer to her core, but Draco's paws left her unsure. Aware. You, Hermione never finished, seizing up as sure fingers spread her lips and his tongue touched her cunt. Letting out a gasping breath, she carded her fingers through his hair. Unease seemed to creep back in, clumsiness in a way he typically wasn't, but Draco took his time familiarizing himself with the act and her body. The low timbre of a moan that slipped out of his mouth vibrated against her skin, sending a bolt of lightning straight to her core. Before long, Draco had her quaking as he slipped a second finger inside, stretching and curling them in all the right ways to make her many clench. She couldn't stop looking, touching, and praising. So good. Draco froze for the span of a breath before doubling his efforts while he kept his eyes trained on her, watching, learning, feeling. He had her frantic, arched against his mouth, with breathy, high-pitched sounds leaving her as he held her legs shaking. The command was in his eyes. Come. Wait. Draco immediately stopped, and it was all she could do to tear her eyes away, catch her breath, and twist to the side to stop her from following his silent instructions. Too much? Maybe that, too, 
but Hermione shook her head. Not here. Her bed wasn't as large as the one they'd been sharing, but that was the last thing on her mind when he brought her leg over his hip, found the right angle, and slowly sank into her. The feeling was new in this position. Laying on their sides and kissing him did little to stop the sighs from escaping them both. There was something emotional and raw about sex that Hermione had never realized before. Not just an act of bodies. It was an exchange of minds. The process of emptying one while filling the other over and over until there was completion. It was the fulfillment of desires. A connection. A different language from the one she spoke. But the interpretation remained the same. They might have been inside one another, but Draco was in control, steady and easy. He fucked her like he was savoring the experience, like he was searching for a spot in her soul to call his. Draco was all she knew in that moment, all she felt. He was buried deep inside her, a stretch that blended pleasure and pain. The snap of his hips felt so good she couldn't help but shudder and shake against his lips. They weren't kissing, merely exhaling gasps and brushing lips. He started to touch her, but she shook her head. Like this. She was drowning in his eyes. Just like this. She wanted it too much. She wanted him too much. Her body ached wonderfully under his control until she couldn't stand the intensity and kissed him again instead. It didn't help. She knew it was coming, but her orgasm still caught her unaware, tensing around him with a ragged shout. Draco dropped his head on her shoulder, mouthing and swearing against her skin, when she clamped and pulsed around him. He shuddered as she quaked, but he fucked her through it, still deep, still slow, though his grip was tighter and his breath shook against her neck. "'Tell me I can.' His voice was nothing more than a rumble, low and full of want. "'Please.' She couldn't tell him no. "'Yes.' "'Fuck.' His curse sounded more like a plea for mercy he hadn't earned yet, but he would. Maybe she was predictable. Still hazy from her orgasm, she found herself being dragged to the next. It didn't take him long to figure her out, to know what she liked, how to touch her, and when to draw back to the edge. His rhythm had them both gasping and clinging to the other as tightly as they could. Oh, this was different. It was... Draco eviscerated the thought by biting down on her lip as his thrust sharpened and his hips snapped against hers. The sound, the beads of sweat that ran down her brow, the feel of him, of them, together. It was messy and human and so overwhelming that Hermione didn't realize she wasn't breathing until he pushed in as deep as he could. Breathe. Hermione exhaled and tilted her hips just enough to make him hiss, make him shake. He let go, mouthing at her shoulder and breathing heavy as he bit down. They came together. It felt like flying and falling all at once, both dizzying and electrifying in the heady rush of release, not just her climax, but emotions that burst free. There and gone, it dissipated into the atmosphere between them. Hermione felt the beat of his heart, just as he felt hers, but the rhythm was different, forever changed by the steady thrum of affection, devotion, love. Startled by the devastating realization, Hermione closed her eyes tight as her heart stumbled, slipped, then fell over the truth. She was drowning in him and everything that held heavier meaning than what they'd just done. Draco rubbed her back and held her as they both drifted in silent reflection. Side by side, face to face, limbs entwined over the covers. 
There was more she wanted to say, but she knew she couldn't. Not now. Not like this. What? Hermione cleared the thickness from her throat. What do you want to talk about tonight? Anything would be better than the sheer insanity she was ready to confess with the slightest push. Draco, whose hand was touching her hair, paused in his actions. Us. It was the very last thing she wanted to speak about at that moment. She didn't trust herself for anything she was likely to say. I think... She heaved a sigh and closed her eyes. It feels like everything's too fast. Too busy. Too chaotic. I wish we could slow it down and let things settle. I know there's a lot undefined, but I just... I like what we are right now. I'm not ready for that to change yet. Draco continued stroking her hair, but said nothing. Human behavior flows from three main sources. Desire, emotion, and knowledge. Plato. Chapter 33. Standing Still. October 26, 2011. Dawn brought forth a new day. Wrapped in a charmed blanket, Hermione witnessed the sun's ascent from darkness over the tops of the neighboring homes. Streaks of color bathed a waking world in light. Each passing day made it harder to sit still, and harder to focus on the calmness when something else was rising. Tension. Draco was building a structure of his own. Brick by brick, he was painstakingly walling himself up, and retreating deep into the same thoughts he'd always been wading through for the past few days. Sometimes he let her in, and talk about inconsequential topics that skirted the truth. Other times he shut her out. Right now, the only thing tying them to one another under the sunrise was their warm fingers laced together. The moment ended with a quick glance at his watch. Draco excused himself to make tea with a soft kiss on her wrist. That had been the extent of his daily kisses as of late. Nothing more on any front since the morning after the wedding when she'd failed to hide her exhaustion. The evening left her a bit bruised and sore, depleted for two days. Hermione had no regrets, but Draco remained on edge. When he was gone, her sigh joined the breeze. Hermione had an idea what was wrong, but since he wasn't ready to discuss, she stopped pushing and started preparing for the moment he was. Decision made, she enjoyed the sunrise for another fifteen minutes before dragging herself indoors, and was just inside the threshold when she stopped at the sight before her. Theo and Draco mirrored each other. The former's head turned upon her entrance, while the latter continued staring at the bowl centered on the coffee table. But it wasn't just any bowl. Wide, shallow, made of black onyx, placed on a stand made of wrought iron. A pensive. Hermione. Theo folded his arms, appearing uncharacteristically uneasy. She had interrupted something. Whether it was an argument or a conversation, she didn't know. How are you feeling? It was the same question he'd asked each time he saw her. Better each day in some respects. She loomed closer, taking a spot between them. Are you certain about this, Theo? Draco's question was quickly followed by an exchange of meaningful looks. It spoke of a deeper bond between the men that she'd ever bore witness to before. I'm not. Theo's fingers skimmed the rim one last time before he shoved both hands into his pockets. But I think this will be more beneficial to Narcissa than to me. She told me you've been extracting memories. I have. At Draco's words, Hermione recoiled slightly. Just a few. 
she hadn't known that. It's not been an easy process. Draco brought his arms behind himself, tearing his eyes away from the pensive. Some of the memories are faint and unclear at times, but solid and easy to capture at others. Healer Smith has been coordinating the effort. She hadn't known that either. I'm aware. We've discussed logistics yesterday with your mother. And while bits of Hermione resented not being part of the process that she'd been tending to for months, the thought of Narcissa having a way to remember, finally wanting to take the step towards preservation, and finally opening herself to everything she'd fought so hard on, made the feeling simmer and fade. Her focus returned to the point. Narcissa had as many good days as bad. She hadn't braided her hair for the last two mornings. Not because she didn't want to, but because she simply couldn't. The tremors were too bad. Besides, Hermione was right. Draco frowned, but Hermione looked at Theo in dawning realization. You told me that it was time to let go of the pain. I thought this was a good place to start. With one final look at them both, Theo ducked his head, turned, and left. Draco followed. And just before they left her sight line, Hermione watched as Draco's hand clapped Theo's back, while Theo nodded, as if he were internally banishing the zone lingering doubts. Now alone... Hermione sat on the sofa, and drew a blanket around her as she observed the pensive. It was smaller than she'd imagined, but size meant nothing. There was a complex and powerful magic radiating from the ever-present cloudy liquid in the basin. Memories, Hermione reminded herself. Theo's, to be exact. They called to her like a siren. Hesitant fingers grazed the odd carvings on the side of the shallow basin, noting the smooth, waxy surface before forcing herself to retreat. Having seen the pensives from Dumbledore's office and the Ministry, this one should have been less intriguing. But Hermione couldn't look away, or stop herself from analyzing every bit of it. Malleability made Onyx easy to cut into any shape, and its meaning was equally as flexible. Seen as a protective stone for the dark and lonely to some, it also meant decisiveness and strength to others. Hermione couldn't help but observe the thin white band in the sea of black, and think about the balance of polarities etched in the stone. He gave me the memories to discard. Draco's voice startled her, but his appearance with two cups of tea settled her. They're too tempting for him to keep. Accepting the cup, they drank in silence. I didn't know you could remove memories. Some are buried with their pensives. There are ways to destroy the vials. Draco's eyes were trained on it, focused as he frowned. But what's in the bowl now aren't his memories. It's the last memory viewed. Yours. Hermione sat up straighter. From the complete memory of the day you gave me, yes. Draco crossed his legs, pretending to appear relaxed when he very clearly was not. I still view it. She waited until her ginger tea was finished. The bite was smoothed with honey and lemon. It was the same tea Draco had been making each morning. She placed the cup on the table and turned to him. Why? For answers that I can't seem to find. The unknown of what she'd seen, a mystery weaved into the mist. Hermione eyed the cloudy liquid, the lone plume of smoke rising and curling in the air called to her curiosity, her need to know any answer. Perhaps you need my perspective. I lived through it once. Her eyes cut to him. Are you the only one who's seen? Yes, and I don't see why you would want to relive it. It would be difficult, but there's comfort found in survival even if it's been a slow journey with setbacks and frustrations. 
Hermione knew that the bad memories were just as important as the good. Uncomfortable, yes. Hard to talk about, certainly. But in the end, they shaped who she was and gave Hermione her sense of self, both positive and negative. Maybe if I find what you're looking for, you can stop searching for answers. Draco looked down into his teacup before finishing the last bit and placing it next to hers. You already have nightmares, Granger. More often than not, she woke up gasping for air, clawing at an invisible hand around her neck. Or in the forest, bleeding. We both do. Yours just keep you awake. Thoughts. Memories. You. Three things that admittedly swirled around Draco's head often, now more than ever. Too many nights she'd found him sitting at his desk, staring at the map, working on translations, or pondering something that left him deep in thought. Hermione had all but dragged him to bed each night, where they stared at each other in silence that followed her nightly question. Perhaps we can ease both of our minds and look together. Draco stopped at her final word, building tension mounted in the wake of his unspoken words. Now that her heart was settling into its new beat, Hermione found herself more committed to putting the world on mute. She'd spent too many days with every aspect of it screaming at her. Recovery, injury, therapy, change, fear, permanence, love. The cyclone of events had left her weary, and she just wanted peace. Time to adjust on her new axis, to think and plan and ponder. But even now, in the silence that lengthened following her suggestion, Draco's eyes spoke and Hermione listened. Slowly unfurling, she tentatively reached for him, testing the heat of her affection, and hoping the flame wouldn't singe her skin as she now explored the differences between love then and now, past and present. It was strange that in all the ways she loved before, each was different. This love was dynamic, experimental like the hand in hers, uncharted like the task she'd suggested. Unique like the journey in understanding how she found herself in the middle of it all before she'd known it had begun. There were layers of time and experience that stacked on top of one another until it took this shape that loomed too large to ignore. She was torn between analysis and impulse. During each passing moment, she became more and more aware of that. Like fire, some days she would flicker slowly, and others she would feel the need to roar and crash. Both were destructive in their beauty as was he. Hermione scooted closer on her own, closing the space between them and bringing their joined hands to her lips. You're frustrated with me. One whispered against his skin. Among other things. His thumb swept across her knuckles. I don't want to discuss it at the moment. I hate this. I don't want to argue with you like last time. I think, at least, I hope we're past that. I agree, which is why I'm saying not now, not today. Zippy's arrival was soon followed by the sound of gathering pots and pans. You are due for your potions and breakfast, and Scorpius will be down soon. He has a half day today. Daphne is coming to pick him up. The way Draco fidgeted was so subtle, Hermione almost missed it before he exhaled and sat back. I also feel the need to inform you that there was a greyback sighting last night. Where? Forty kilometers outside Godric's Hollow. He focused on their joined hands. He tore apart two muggle hikers and critically injured the rest. He didn't use magic. Clearing his throat, Draco looked away while Hermione blinked, stunned silent from the brutality. 
It wasn't the first attack since St. Mungo's, nor was it the first sighting of him. There had been more, but each was in the forest or at night, stalking villages, bleeding from the remaining cuts that wouldn't heal, feral or nearly there. Potter's team is heading the investigation. Since I'm on desk duty for a few weeks, I'll tell you more as I find out. Oh, okay. I'll be late tonight, so schedule our discussion. You're ridiculous. A suppressed chuckle escaped. It sounded brittle, but here she was, thinking about his calendar while pressing a promissory kiss to his wrist, analyzing the spark of surprise that quickly shot across his face. Hermione started to say more. She wanted to, even though she'd promised herself that she wouldn't. But the sound of Scorpius coming down the stairs stopped her. It was painful to let go of his hand. The watering schedule of Mint the Cactus was not delineated by days, but rather by need. The task was completed after carefully monitoring the succulent and the potting mix. Scorpius would touch the soil and sign the word dry. Then on the seventh day of dry soil, they would water it. But with the season changing and temperatures cooling, the timing would have to change. Unfortunately, nobody bothered to inform Catherine, which explained why, after Molly's chaotic exit with three Potter children who had just finished a half-day, Hermione, fresh from a soak to clear her mind following a disastrous therapy session, happened upon Scorpius and Catherine in a standoff in front of the cactus. She paused on the middle step. "'Everything okay?' "'I thought it was time to water the cactus, but Scorpius doesn't think so.' Catherine didn't sound sure. "'Wait for you,' he signed to Hermione when she reached the bottom step before he shot Catherine a stern look. Neither her nor Catherine could stop smiling. It was adorable. "'Ah, did you touch the dirt?' Scorpius nodded and held up all ten fingers. Days since the last watering. He'd obviously remembered her explanation of why they hadn't watered when he held up seven fingers, and her smile grew. The cactus appeared to be healthier than ever, far from the sad, leaning little thing she'd rescued.' The little boy was patiently waiting for her to make a decision. "'I think we can water it today.' Daphne arrived to collect her nephew for the afternoon, while Hermione watched Catherine water the cactus under the supervision of squinty eyes. Scorpius broke into a wide smile when he saw his aunt, and came to her side when his nanny asked Hermione if it was enough. The distrustful look Catherine earned made Daphne smother a chuckle, but a mumbled comment slipped out. "'Just like Draco.' He was, more and more each day. Even the gentle bits of Scorpius she'd never associated with his father reminded Hermione of him now. Something sweet emerged when he touched the dirt, checking Catherine's work, and then his face returned to a pleased look before he signed, Thank you. Hermione had never seen Catherine look so happy. You're welcome. With a cup in hand, Catherine squatted before the boy, hope in her eyes and kindness in her soft smile. I know today was a test run until Miss Granger gets better, but can we water the cactus together next time? He went through a series of expressions, yet never seemed to land on an answer. Instead, he looked to her for guidance. Hermione couldn't get to his level like she normally would, but she still offered her support. Mint is your cactus, and you get to decide. Scorpius looked over at Catherine, still kneeled and hopeful, and nodded slowly. Catherine was ecstatic, and the two left hand in hand to pick out an outfit for him to wear to dinner. There was a new pep in her step. Dinner clothes? Hermione's brow rose slowly. For my parents, I know, but they asked me to bring Scorpius by for dinner tonight and stay. No one is more shocked than I am. 
Daphne's sigh was a complicated mix of emotions, like worry and fear, with an echo of sadness that ran deep. I haven't seen them since the funeral. How are you feeling about this? I... I'm not sure. Scorpius usually visits every couple of months with Narcissa, but that's changed as of late. Hermione knew why. Draco had confessed one night that he didn't care for his in-laws for the myriad of reasons, but refused to cut them from Scorpius's life. But it never stopped them from trying to include him in every interaction with Scorpius. He declined every invite, ignored every best wish relayed from his mother, and left the task of communication to her. It was one of the few things he hadn't changed since taking over Scorpius's care. Did you find out why they wanted to see you? I think it has less to do with me and more to do with Halia. I think they woke up one day and realized I was the only daughter they had left, and that I had one of my own. My mother turned up at my office with the invite, and looked disappointed when I said I wouldn't bring her. I'm not saying no forever, but you don't have the energy right now. It's almost been a year, and I just don't have the capacity. Daphne folded her arms before giving her a probing look. It sounds like you're in a similar mood. I am with my own mother. She cringed. I can only hope I won't repeat history. That I'll be better. That Halia will be. You will be. And what about you? Daphne seemed genuinely interested. At some point I'll try. But right now I've turned that part of my brain off, until a time when I'm ready to fix the connection. She looked down at her closed fist. But my dad drove me home. What? How did that happen? Draco arranged it. At that, her friend looked very surprised. He turned up here, and we talked on the ride. He saw my home, my garden, my life, and I think, not for the first time, emotion swelled when she thought of that day, and the fact that it had led to more talks, and another visit for dinner, where Scorpius showed off all his artwork. I think we're going to be fine. They were both working on it. Daphne wrapped an arm around Hermione's shoulders, and turned it into the hug she needed, one that she held long enough for her friend to grow concerned. "'You seem off.' Daphne searched her face with a squint that reminded her of Scorpius. She was far more observant than she let on. "'What's wrong?' "'I have a lot weighing on me.' Hermione worried her bottom lip with her teeth. "'Your mind?' "'And maybe my heart.' Daphne's eyes widened but anything she was about to ask disappeared when Scorpius and Catherine returned, the former with a bag in his hand, ready to go. He paused when he got closer, looking between them both with a pinch between his brows that she smoothed away with her thumb. He looked at Catherine anxiously until she excused herself back the way she came, waving, still pleased with the progress. "'Practice,' Scorpius signed, then looked over at his aunt. "'Are you sure?' In addition to the name game, he had been practicing— his urge to speak grew along with the nerve and energy it took to actually try. Slowly, at least. Their little talk still tired him out, and he still got stressed about the hypothetical talk with his father. But now it was more from nerves than genuine fear. Once they were seated, Daphne's puzzled expression morphed into concern the more agitated he got. He paced the length of the sofa until Hermione offered a bit of solace and whispered encouragement. His aunt's curiosity returned when Scorpius shuffled over to her with his grip tight on Hermione's cardigan, and his breaths coming in quick succession. Another look made Hermione give him a little nudge. Like the scorpion. He nodded and audibly exhaled. Brave! His voice was barely a whisper, and his cheeks flushed scarlet. Daphne's hands flew to her mouth. The shocked tears in her eyes fell without notice when she gathered her trembling nephew into a hug. 
He touched the ends of her hair, closed his eyes, and held on. "'You are brave!' She was stumbling on words after that. "'How? What? When? I—' "'A little while. He's been practicing to talk to his dad. But you're the second hurdle.' Hermione rested her hand on Scorpius's back. His heart was racing, and he sounded on the verge of tears. But when he turned his head, he didn't look sad. He looked relieved, accomplished, happy. "'I'm so proud of you. We both are.' They stayed like that until Scorpius calmed completely and was back to signing. Quickly, Hermione figured out that he was looking forward to visiting to pet Cheddar, the cat, and play with Halia, an act that consisted of Scorpius laying on his stomach beside her and watching in awe while she squeaked, wiggled, and rose up and down during tummy time. Hermione had only witnessed it once on the morning of the wedding, and the sight of the cousins together wasn't one she would soon forget. "'Come with me?' The signed question took Hermione by surprise. "'Next time, okay?' She meant it. The only way subtlety could be a lost art for Narcissa was if she'd never cared about it at all. Dressed to perfection in burnt orange robes that flowed just past her knees, she appeared in front of Hermione, who was struggling her way through the same page she'd been trying to read off and on since Susan had allowed her to begin reading three days ago. The headache wasn't bad, but Hermione was rapidly learning that her concentration on even the most minute of tasks had to be rebuilt along with her strength. Narcissa stood before her, with her hair slightly disturbed by the cool breeze. "'If you have nothing to do, I require your presence in my wing in thirty minutes.' Hermione closed the book and placed it beside her, giving the woman her full attention. "'What is it?' She could use a distraction. Any would do. Her muscles were sore, and her spirit was battered from Susan's concerned hum after running several grip tests on her hand. "'Drago's potion will be administered today.' "'Oh.' A neutralizing potion will be administered to clear my current regime from my system. The process will take a few hours. Narcissa cleared her throat and took a seat next to her, crossing her legs, forever poised. I am... Nervous from the cues she was giving off. Scared. Hermione could relate. My sister will be there as well, but I would feel more comfortable if you were present. She couldn't disguise her shock. Do not look so surprised, Miss Granger. You know my case better than anyone. You have worked tirelessly, even when I fought you every step of the way. Narcissa gave her a meaningful look. A slight quirk of her lip spoke of a sort of fondness she only spotted in fleeting moments. Despite your current medical absence, I thought you might like to see your dedication come to fruition. Hours. Weeks. Months. With mounting physical concerns, her own frustration, and the building storm in her mind— the fact that Narcissa thought of her meant more than she could express. Clearing her throat, Hermione pulled her lips into a smile. Thank you. I would. There was a pause, and they both focused on everything except each other. You were not there when I went to your therapy room. My session ended early, and I took a bath to clear my mind. What happened? Narcissa's attention was focused on Hermione's injured hand. There will be more tests. If I were treating myself— I would give it another month or two of little improvements before I started having serious conversations about permanent damage. She was mentally preparing herself for that. Or she would. It was one of the topics she'd put on mute. She had, or she would go mad. I suppose it is a good thing you are not treating yourself. Narcissa's look was pointed. You are far more patient with others than you are with yourself. I... 
something shifted in her demeanor, and Hermione instantly knew to tread lightly, when Narcissa closed her eyes and her body stiffened. "'Let me call for sacks.' "'No,' she shook her head. "'I will wait it out. Just some stiffness.' They remained in silence until Andromeda arrived. Then they walked to her wing where Healer Smith awaited with sacks. The healer talked about benefits and necessary caution, while Narcissa held both of their hands as she consented. She let go of Hermione's to accept the neutralizing potion. The effects weren't instant, but before the start of the next hour, Narcissa was asleep and Andromeda's hand still in hers. Healer Smith moved quickly around the room, a now familiar place for him. In the last month, he had rapidly earned the respect of Keating and Sachs, quicker than she had, and judging from the conversation she'd had with both, he and Draco had worked well together while testing the potency of the potion. His road to trust was smoother, but Hermione couldn't help but wonder if it was because she'd cleared the way. While he monitored her with charms and ran test after test, the potency of the potions in her system slowly began to fade. Hermione drifted closer, wrapping her hand around her sore wrist as she looked on. "'I thought you might have more questions about the process.' "'I do love my questions.' They both chuckled before she shook her head and continued. "'I'm interested in the process, but today I'm not here as a healer. Just support.' "'Says the healer who called nearly weekly for six months.' "'I'm tenacious, and this is well outside my specialty.' "'Your notes don't speak of your inexperience.' The fact is we're here today with a potion that would change the way this disease is treated, and that speaks to you and Mr. Malfoy's credit and efforts. He glanced down at her hand. Any better? I know little of your case, only what happened that made Mr. Malfoy sign me on as your replacement, but Narcissa speaks of you often. We're working up to the highly part. Hermione bit back a smile. Oh? Charles looked a bit confused. She, she does care, in her own way, Andromeda said. My sister has always been difficult, and particular, even though she wonders where Draco got it from. A quiet chuckle escaped, and Hermione turned to her. If she didn't care at least a fraction, she wouldn't bother at all. She wouldn't poke or prod or push or try to help mold you into a better version of yourself. I think she has been intrigued with you longer than she actually liked you, so her irritating you constantly is her way. I say this as her sister— who has had to listen to her repeated efforts to teach me how to prune. Hermione flashed a smile, then turned thoughtful eyes to the sleeping witch. I suppose we have that in common. And she wondered if the war between traditional and liberal methodologies had put them where they were now, still firmly in their corners of propriety, but with a better understanding and respect for the other's traditions that shaped them into who they were today. Strong women who handled adversity in their own way, Maybe not always the right way, but they were capable of adjusting, learning, understanding. "'Excuse me, Healer Granger, could you take a look at this?' Charles held up the parchment. Hermione and Andromeda exchanged looks before she did, as requested. "'This is her established baseline in April, and this is her baseline now, after six months.' It had shifted. In the wrong direction. The positive was that her regime was working to treat the symptoms— but the negative was that she was still continuing to decline at the normal rate for her disease. I can compare, but on sight, her results look as though she is at the midway point, more physical concerns to join the mental. Andromeda swept her fingers across her sister's forehead. What exactly will the potion improve? Her current potions work to keep her lucid and sharp longer, while treating the symptoms of her disease, but they will fail the moment she doesn't take them correctly. This potion will not. 
It will work as the others do, just on a more stable basis, so she doesn't have to take potions within a certain time frame. What we will do is take the properties of this potion and begin to test variations that may help us find different ways to slow the buildup of the protein in the brain that causes it. A potential cure. It's years away, maybe not even in my career or during my lifetime, but the first thing needed is a steady supply of this potion, which was why the cultivation of the ingredients was so important. The ingredients are beginning to grow. Hermione knew her voice sounded faint. A cure might not help Narcissa, but it was a small act that had a wide reach for a disease that was becoming more and more common. Groundbreaking. Healer Smith, how do you plan to monitor the efficacy? Daily cognitive and magical tests in addition to oversight around the clock. I am training Sachs and Keating to be more than palliative care healers. I'd also like them to be part of the unofficial research team I'm taking over from Healer Davies. Hermione stepped back. Did you inherit boxes and boxes of your research? Yes. He sounded humored at her apologetic expression. Did I also acquire Mr. Malfoy's research? Yes, but he is keeping the potion's patent to himself, as expected, for collateral. No, that wasn't a surprise, and it was interesting how quickly Charles had learned that about him. I get the impression he speaks louder than he moves. A cryptic statement, but Hermione knew the meaning. Always in the shadows. Always several steps ahead. Not out of habit. Out of necessity. Charles took out his wand, cast another charm, and the parchment shifted and changed. I'm going through everything while training Saxe and Keating so they can take on more active role in her care, rather than passive observation. It was a good idea Hermione wished she'd thought of months ago. She had been too used to working alone, too set in her ways. Perhaps Hermione wasn't being fair to herself. She was growing and changing. She could feel the difference between herself on the first day as Narcissa's healer and now. What once was a fact was now questionable. What once was stable had been thrown into flux. Change. It had never been easy. Adjusting to new realities and life rhythms was always uncomfortable. Hermione felt it now more than ever. But what was more challenging was seeing that things had changed in the first place, especially when it involved her. Too focused on every extraneous aspect of life, often Hermione was the last to recognize what others knew as fact. Draco. And here she was on that path again. Different subject, but the road, as always, led back to him. Knowing why was both a revelation and a sobering lesson. Are you okay? Hermione stepped out of her own thoughts, only to find Andromeda eyeing her curiously. They were now alone with Narcissa, who was still resting. The curtains had been drawn. She would sleep for hours to the quiet scratching of a quill against parchment as it recorded her vitals. I'm sorry, I've been distracted. Hmm. Andromeda crossed her legs, settling back in her chair. I imagine you have had lots of distractions right now. How is counseling going? I'm supposed to find true calm. She scoffed at the assignment. It's not going well. How can you find anything? I see panic all over you. I recognize it. Andromeda gave her a look that only meant one thing. They were about to talk. For the first time, Hermione didn't consider avoiding it. Or her. I battle my own thoughts all the time, especially concerning Sissa. Andromeda closed her eyes for a moment. I am only just beginning to make peace with what is happening, but no matter what happens, or when it happens, I plan to be there for her, and for Draco and Scorpius. Hermione looked down. Who will be there for you? I know I will, but I am not alone. 
I know how to lean on others, though that is something I had to learn, just as you are right now. Venturing to the wall, Hermione stared at the portrait of a dock that parted the water and seemed to stretch into forever. She oscillated between keeping her thoughts to herself and reaching out on a tender subject, the latter won by a minuscule margin. I... you told me Draco would be the hardest lesson I'd ever learn. Why did you say that? Andromeda's eyes widened in surprise before she released her sister's hand, placing it carefully on the cover. It looked like stalling, but Hermione knew she was gathering the right words. "'I'll confess I wasn't well-versed in my nephew when I said that to you, but I learned quickly the first few times we spoke alone. The day in her garden. The dinner she forced him to attend. Other private moments Draco hinted at before sleep, but never went into. There was a quiet respect he carried for Andromeda as of late— woven deep in the things he didn't speak on. More often than not, they met in private, and the one time she had happened upon them, Andromeda had a hand on his shoulder. He hadn't flinched, and the way he was listening intensely to what she was saying beneath the privacy charm caught Hermione by surprise. At the time, I had only just met him, but I already knew that you were misunderstanding him. I saw the way he looked at you then, and I see the way he looks at you now. I've been with him during times you won't ever remember." Andromeda joined her by the painting, and brought her hands behind her back. "'I know you know he cares for you. You must. I think everyone knows, despite the silence on the subject.' "'I know he does. It's mutual.' A bubble of laughter escaped, and it sounded a little panicked to her own ears. "'I think about as much as happened and how little time has actually passed. And then I think I must be completely mad for feeling this way so quickly.' "'I imagine he is feeling something similar.' Draco cycles between exasperation and understanding. He is patient, but I have realized his patient only extends to things he finds worth his weight. Hermione brought her injured hand to her chest. I'm not... I don't... To truly know someone is to differentiate between who they once were, who they are now, and who they are capable of being. It's a hard lesson because you're having to learn it both foresight and hindsight, all while gaining insight within yourself and him. It's not an easy or simple task in addition to everything life has thrown your way. Andromeda turned to her. Don't run from the challenge simply because it makes you uncomfortable. I have no intentions to. Hermione inhaled, then released the breath slowly, until her lungs were empty. Not that I could run. Life goes on, and I'm cemented to the ground. You're vulnerable right now, aren't you? Her chest felt tight, just like it did each time she cried. Among other things... She hated the feeling, but it only grew, narrowing her vision. Do you know why I've routinely invited you over for so long? I thought you were checking in. I was. That's true. Hermione slowly took Hermione's hand in hers and started massaging it open, using the same techniques as her nephew. I love your independence, Hermione, but for years I watched you take on more and more, and I wondered if it was trauma response to the war, or even your seizure— your friends have always worried about you, so I started keeping my eye on you as well. I invited you over when you went too long without communicating, and fed you when you were being stubborn. I made you talk, and did what I could to give you what you gave to others. Hermione couldn't speak. You are one of the strongest people I know, but being strong isn't your only choice, nor is it always an option. It's okay to hurt, to be afraid, to worry, but you don't have to keep everything bottled up. It's okay to let people help you. I have. I had no other choice. But I'm grateful. 
Everyone has tended to every— I know you fought to find a new normal after your seizure, and I know you're terrified of having to do the same thing again. Her thumb swept across the palm of Hermione's hand. Scared that you'll be trapped by limitations you don't even know exist. Truth brought her emotions to the surface in the form of tears. Helpless to do anything else, they fell. There's more on your mind, too. Other things you're struggling with. My advice to you is the same advice I gave Draco while you were unconscious. Step outside of yourself and breathe. Then, when you feel calm enough, do it again. Slower. A pause hung between them, and all she could hear was her own quick gasping breaths. You're not cemented to the ground, Hermione. You're not trapped by what happened to you, or whatever it is that's happening that you won't speak about. You're just standing still, and you're allowed to. Hermione brushed away more rogue tears as they escaped. You'll think through everything and make a decision to move in the direction of your choosing. Once you make up your mind, you commit completely. You have always been like this, so I have faith that you will figure out how to deal with whatever it is weighing so heavily on you. She closed her eyes and focused. But for now, stand tall and know that I am with you. I will always be here. Hermione leaned into the comfort of her steady presence. There's a lot I want to talk to you about. Don't. Not now. Hermione held her hand that trembled. Right now, we need to stand still. October 29th, 2011. Kneading dough required a steady mantra of push, fold, turn. Push, fold, turn. To transform a sticky, diaphanous glob of flour and water into a supple ball of dough. From messy to manageable. Hermione used her wand to summon and mix the ingredients, her injured hand to test the temperature, and the other to begin feeling the dough as she needed. Lastly, she used her senses with the voice of Susan in her head. Meditation is the act of coming to your senses. And perhaps she had a point, because baking had the same concept of giving her attention to something. In her failed attempts in physical therapy, Hermione was directed to give her attention to each breath, but now she tried to synchronize her breathing with the kneading of the dough. The pain made the attempt less successful, as did the cramp in her other hand, and the realization of the novice mistake she'd made. She hadn't used bread flour, or weighed the ingredients, and the eggs were cold. All in all, she had a mess on her hands and no hope of turning it into dough. Well, this feels the opposite of meditation. Is that what you're doing? Harry made a cringing face from his spot across the island, and tilted his head. His presence in her kitchen felt like normality. I thought... Actually, I wasn't sure what you were doing. I find it best if I don't ask. Hermione cut him down with a glare, then shook both her head and sore hands before depositing the entire mess into the sink. She washed her hands with soap, and for a long time she used the warm water to both cleanse her skin and relax her muscles in her hand. I can usually focus when I need dough. Were you going to make sad pie? Harry looked interested. Maybe not sad pie, but a treat for the kids, just to see if I could at least start. Harry chuckled with a bemused shake of his head. Malfoy said you were focused on getting back to normal. I thought maybe you weren't pushing yourself so hard, but... You two talk about me? Not really. I asked and almost got my head bitten off, but it was worth it. Harry shrugged when she began the slow process of drying her hands with a cloth. I figured he would know better than anyone. I talk to you two. Not about the things that concern you, not as of late. He was very matter-of-fact, but lifted his eyes the moment they heard feet. 
We'll talk more during the flying lesson. Come on. They met at the end of the island. Harry slung an arm over her shoulder once they were outside, and she brought her good arm around him. The autumn air outside was crisp and cool, but not cold. The forest swayed in the breeze, and Hermione was happy to be in a jumper. Today was too warm for a coat. Inhaling the fresh air, they continued at a slow pace. Harry was a steady presence at her side, and even when she could feel his natural urge to walk faster, he didn't. Hermione took notice of Ginny and James flying lower and closer to the ground, while a lone figure stood with his back to the pair. Draco. In his Quidditch kit. The dramatic sight turned comical as Al orbited him like a moon. When he nearly fell trying to break, Draco caught him before Harry could wince. And as soon as he had him righted, the little boy was back at it. But even from where they were, she could see the way Albus beamed. Harry could, too. Not sure why Al likes him so much. I don't even think Al knows, she shook her head. He wanted to dress as Mr. Draco for the Halloween tent extravaganza. Hermione laughed so hard they had to stop because she got dizzy. I only just barely talked him out of it. Harry was shaking his head miserably. But we've gone through seven costume phases in the last week, the last of which was a bird. Oh, like a... a pigeon. He scrubbed a hand over his face. Maybe I should rethink letting him go as Mr. Draco. Imagine Draco's horror while Al follows him around dressed as him. Hermione could, vividly. Apparently Harry could, too. His grin was wicked. What are James and Lily dressing as? James wants to go as Batman, and as you've seen today, I can't get Lily out of her cat costume. What a sight she made earlier when she asked for milk. In a bowl. Draco had covered his amusement with a cough, while the rest of them howled with laughter when Scorpius very seriously patted her on the head to stop her from hissing at Alpus. She laughed again at the memory. What about Scorpius? He seems like the more rational... He wanted to go as mint. The herb? No, the cactus. It's named what? Harry guffawed, but stopped mostly when she glared at him. I have a daughter in a cat phase. I probably have no room to talk. No! And they both laughed again. If it makes you feel any better, Draco is also trying to change his mind. But he's sending Catherine around for costumes. Speaking of tomorrow, I got an invite from Narcissa Malfoy, who's hosting a makeup dinner for your birthday with Pansy at Blaze's estate tomorrow night. I asked them not to, but... Good. You should celebrate, given everything. Then his look turned sly. Are you and Malfoy coming together, or are you both still acting like nothing is happening? Hermione touched the braid Narcissa had spent an hour on this morning. We're coming together. He'd even asked about the color of her dress. Not pretending, but I am taking some time to settle and finger things out. Oh? Harry said nothing else, but by the time he transfigured weeds into another hideous mustard sofa, Hermione was tired. No time to grimace. She sat and started catching her breath. James flew in circles while Ginny flew over to them, stopping right before where they were seated. Where's Scorpius? Catherine's helping him into his... Oh, here they come! Ginny smiled and returned to James, both hovering over the ground a bit higher. She was giving him instructions that the boy nodded at. She then dropped lower to the ground and whistled at Al, who left his path to join his mother. Draco finally looked in their direction. Before Harry and Ginny had arrived with the children, she caught him in the conservatory polishing both of their brooms in preparation. Draco was excited. Finally able to do something he'd wanted to do for months. And he had the nerve to look good in Quidditch gear. 
Draco extended his hand and caught his broom with ease. If she hadn't known better from their talks, Hermione would have assumed he'd played in recent months. Mounting his broom, he took to the sky, hovering higher than Ginny, before he flew to the edge of the forest and back. It only took seconds, but when he touched down, Albus made an abrupt beeline for her and was dismounting his broom when she figured out why. Scorpius arrived first, followed quickly by Catherine, who carried a dozing Lily, still in her cat costume from her afternoon nap. "'Sorry it took so long.' "'Not an issue. I think this cat needs a nap,' Lily meowed sleepily. Harry shook his head and opened his arms, ending up with an armful of his daughter. She settled against him quickly. As soon as Catherine was gone, both boys were in front of her, and dressed in matching Quidditch gear. The only difference was that Al had his helmet on and was carrying the broom he'd just dismounted. Scorpius didn't have his broom, but carried his helmet. Hermione hugged them both low. "'You're here to watch us fly?' Albus left Scorpius aside to make faces at his dad. "'I sure am,' Hermione grinned. "'Who put your helmet on?' "'Mum!' And he grinned, showing off the second tooth he lost just yesterday. "'It looks good,' she looked at Scorpius. "'Are you excited, too?' He didn't really give an answer one way or another, and his hands were too full to sign. Truth be told, Hermione was nervous for the lesson. She had been all day. It was definitely outside of his comfort zone, but Molly had told her about how mournful he looked as he watched the others fly last month. Now he would get the chance to join them. His whispered response in her ear made her smile. Yes. She got the edge of Al distracting his dad by flicking Lily's cat ear. It earned him a bit of chastising. Sneaky, but it worked. My dad says Mr. Draco is going to teach Scorp, and I'm going to fly with him until he's ready. His words came out in a hurried rush as he shuffled from foot to foot in excitement. Then we'll fly together! Scorpius nodded. That sounds like an excellent plan. I can't wait to watch. Harry gave Hermione an easy smile before shooing his son back to his mom after fixing the lace of his boot. With Albus gone, Scorpius shyly presented his helmet to her, silently asking her to put it on. Of course she agreed, accepting the offer and placing the strap helmet on his head, letting him snap the safety chin strap in place to help her. He beamed proudly, eyes wide with affection. There you go. Then she noticed his sock wasn't tucked right and fixed it, hiding her grimace. After dusting invisible lint off his blue jumper, she made certain his hair wouldn't fall out of the helmet. If you aren't comfortable, or if you get anxious and feel like you need to sit down, let your dad know, okay? Scorpius nodded, and there were nerves fluttering in her belly when Draco landed several feet in front of them. "'Be careful,' she looked from father to son. "'Both of you.' "'Worried much?' The corner of his mouth twitched in a rare display of arrogance. "'I got it covered.' Instead of scowling, his response made her flush and break into a wide smile. Hermione rubbed her head, feeling ridiculous. "'Yes, sorry. Go have fun.' Draco gave her another smirk and curious look before walking back to the others, hand in hand with his son, who looked up at him in awe. They both glanced back once. Scorpius waved with a wide grin and nudged his father until he did the same with a smirk on his face. Hard to tell who it was for. A throat cleared when they were far enough away, and Hermione could feel Harry's eyes on her. "'I'm ignoring you.' "'You can try.' Hermione stuck out her tongue. We could talk about the family moment I just witnessed, or how you seem more worried about Scorpius than Malfoy. Harry looked too proud of himself. You choose. She already knew which direction she was going. I'll confess I'm worried about him falling, 
He might. A shrug was all Hermione received immediately following his comments. It's encouraged that they fall so that they won't be afraid to do it again. I know. I took him to the playground before, but this is a different kind of height. And what if he's scared for the rest of his life because of... Relax. Harry rested a hand on her shoulder before laying the now-sleeping Lily on the sofa next to him. The first thing she did was kick him, which made Harry shift closer to Hermione. There. Anyway, I don't think Malfoy is going to let him fall. And even if you can't catch him in time, and he does, you won't let him live in fear. He was right. Hermione felt uncomfortable, and a bit silly spewing out all of her worries. What's with you? Harry bumped his knee against hers. First the meditative doe, and now this? You seem... I'm fine. Hermione... Harry trailed off, giving her a pointed look. It wasn't terribly unlike Mrs. Weasley's look, but she found she couldn't resist it as hard as she had. Maybe she was tired. Drained. Torn. Restless. Well, if you won't tell me, then answer this. Are you ready to come home? It should have been an easy yes, but last night they'd watched the stars with Scorpius, and she'd decided to stay because of the playdate, which led to waking up this morning to Scorpius knocking politely on her door— He'd all but dragged her downstairs to where Draco had more than palatable breakfast ready. At her visible display of shock, he just rolled his eyes and said, "'Just because I hate cooking doesn't mean that I can't.'" Draco apparently preferred his eggs over easy, and Hermione frowned at both the knowledge and the memory of all the scrambled eggs she'd prepared for him over the months. But there were other things. After everyone had arrived, she'd happened upon Draco casually talking to Harry and Ginny about Quidditch— leaned on the island like he belonged as he offered respect to Ginny's old team and scorn for Harry's favorite, talking like old friends. And then there was Scorpius. Fresh from showing off his rehabbed plants to three Potter children, he was comfortably taking them around a space they had been in more than him, watering cans in tow as he carefully checked each plant, watering cans in tow as he carefully checked each plant, and either shook his head or nodded when Al or James asked if it was time for water. Lily stared up at the observing Draco, as if he were a tall building, giggling until he finally looked down at her, then picked her up. But before that, she'd seen Draco showing Scorpius the ingredients closet, letting him see the vials without holding him, as he explained what they were. He'd even picked up his son so that he could see the inside of Tank while she leaned against the doorway, watching two people in a space that had always been private. Hers. A familiar, peculiar feeling twisted and heated up inside Hermione. What happened? Something deeper. Hermione leaned against one of her older friends. I just need some company. And because Harry was exactly who he was, he granted Hermione her wish. He didn't ask, didn't prod. He just wrapped an arm around her and held on. Together they watched Albus launch his broom and take off to join his mother and brother, a safe distance off the ground. Harry's attention was on his family, and Hermione's was on Scorpius and Draco, who showed his son how to mount the toy broom by mounting his own. And if her stomach tightened when he took his first flight, Harry only noticed when she tensed and he tightened his grip. Scorpius took to flying like birds taking off from their nest. There was an ease about him as he flew around Draco, and even from where she was sitting, Hermione could see just how proud he was. His smirk slowly became a smile as he tracked Scorpius through the sky, a real one that struck her like a bolt of lightning in darkness. Hermione's heart hesitated when Draco encouraged him to fly higher, but as Scorpius rose, she helplessly fell harder. 
October 30th, 2011. The Zabini matriarch was a beautiful and elegant woman of intelligence and questionable morals. There was an air of confidence and strength found in ways she moved and smiled. She honed the art of saying all the right things to make people look and clamor to be near her. It was incredibly fake. Beneath the smiles and politeness, she was furious and an unbothered blaze, even after greeting him and Padma with perfunctory kisses on both cheeks. Mrs. Zabini had arrived in town hours before with a group of socialite friends, and decided she would host the celebratory dinner. She changed everything, the food to fit her cultivated taste, the wines to pair better with the dishes, and the seating arrangements to suit her guests. Ginny recognized one who used to play Quidditch with her, but Hermione knew no one. Well, except the social-climbing Olivia, who appeared just as surprised to see her. What was supposed to be a laid-back dinner morphed into a feast of taste and sound. The mood matched the lavish, well-lit room with Baroque-style decor, gold-themed wallpaper, and towering columns. Pansy's irritation was loud, but Blaze's was deadly. Prompted by the fact that his mother kept calling Padma Mrs. Zabini with a mocking tone. Mother, must you? Next to him, Padma grimaced slightly at the painfully posh tone he'd taken in her defense. He was ignored. Imagine my surprise when in the middle of breakfast, the tapestry starts weaving a new name and a picture next to my son's four months early. Her comment was light, but her eyes were hard. A beautiful story to tell my grandchildren. The collective roar of laughter was dry and hollow, little more than lip service. Our elopement doesn't change the wedding plans, Padma was placating, painfully polite. Though we did move the location due to security concerns. Good to know our galleons aren't going to be much of good use for your second wedding. The table fell silent. I'm certain that you, of all people, can appreciate the appeal of multiple weddings. Blaze leaned back in his chair, eyeing his mother dangerously. "'How's father number—that's enough,' she warned through a smile. "'Likewise.' The ceasefire was agreed upon with a slight nod. Hermione's wince was no harder than Padma's, and they both exchanged looks before they were split apart due to the seating arrangement. Hermione was mourning the fact that Susan hadn't been able to come. She would have loved the show as much as Ginny, Daphne, and Parvati. Ron and Harry's eyes were wide the entire time— Theo and Percy were observing. Neville was distracted by Luna, who kept looking around the room, and Pansy was seething. One of Mrs. Zabini's sycophants changed the subject, but the exchange between mother and son lingered even after a few funny comments that made the table collectively chuckle. "'As always, your dinners are divine,' Olivia simpered, which wasn't the word Hermione would have used." Judging from the twitch of Draco's jaw and the outright frown on Ron's face, they both shockingly agreed on something, however trivial. The food wasn't terrible, and the wine, while not to her liking, wasn't horrible either. "'It's nice to be in a country again,' another nameless witch said. "'It's so quaint.' "'We're actually celebrating—' Pansy's words were swallowed by a different guest of Mrs. Zabini's, calling attention to the oak taste underlying in the wine.' Before Pansy got louder, she gave her friend a look. It was fine. Hermione didn't need the attention. After the initial bold looks and the same questions everyone had for her as of late—the attack, heroic acts, and how she was doing—Hermione was happy to keep to the background like she preferred. But that wish wasn't granted by the plum dress she wore as the other guests had opted for the lighter end of the autumn palette. 
The contrast in colors made her stand out for all the reasons she didn't want. "'You all should have seen the menu before I put my magical touch on it. "'Penzi's choices were equally as lovely, I assure you,' Narcissa drawled. "'Another surprise of the evening? "'The two matriarchs couldn't stand one another. "'Mrs. Abini was the only person she had seen "'who wasn't completely enamored with Narcissa. "'The feeling was mutual, which made for a different dynamic, "'and a war of attrition disguised as politeness.' Watching them interact with veiled insults and fake pleasantries had been a better way to spend her evening than expected. Judging from the various degrees of amusement on most of their friends' faces, they agreed. "'I must say, I am enraptured by the decor in this room,' Narcissa's voice had taken on a dramatic flair. "'Very chic!' Which meant common, and not in a good way. "'Thank you!' "'Should you ever host an event of this size in your home, I would love to attend.' Mrs. Abini already knew she didn't have a designated space. "'You will be the first name on my invitation.' On and on it went. Insults were braided between polite smiles and gestures. And while the table, who carried on conversations as normal while keeping an ear out, seemed entertained by the back and forth, there was one person who appeared bored. Draco. By some strange kismet, they were seated next to each other, and twice she'd had to nudge him in the leg when he blatantly ignored all attempts to draw him into conversation. He'd given several dark looks and eye-rolls when Mrs. Zabini's friends tried to wield their wealth and self-importance, and he'd offered curt responses to their idiotic questions. But that was it. Hermione wasn't surprised, and neither was anyone else. His reputation had preceded him. "'Tell me, Narcissa, how have you been?' "'I'm surprised you have time for a dinner-party, "'given how busy you must be this year "'with your attempts to find Draco a wife.' "'I make time for things I want to make time for. "'However, I believe your information is not up to date. "'Draco has been removed from eligibility.' "'The topic of discussion tensed as every eye except hers shifted to him. "'Olivia's mouth fell open. "'He has decided to take a more modern approach, "'and I support his decision.' Narcissa gave her son a small nod that he returned slowly. Her comments seemed to relax him, but only for a moment. "'Wonderful news!' Mrs. Abini's smile grew. "'I am happy to welcome you to the modern age!' Before Narcissa could snap back, Olivia, who had been blinking wildly for a minute now, blurted out, "'I remember we had a marriage meeting you kept rescheduling.' "'Consider it cancelled!' Pansy glanced at her nails, then up at Percy, who shook his head. "'What? I'm stating the obvious for those who might not understand.' Pravati coughed into her wine glass. Hermione and Padma exchanged looks with Ginny and Luna, who was suddenly entertained. It was going to be a long night. Luna smiled brightly. Olivia wasn't sure who to glare at, but she turned her attention to Draco. "'So that explains your absence in society as of late. I was looking forward to continuing our conversation.' Draco only spoke up after cutting his eyes at Harry when he bit back a laugh. "'I have no recollection of a conversation.' Unfortunately, the comment prompted an attempt at jogging his memory. "'I can understand. I believe the last time I saw you was in June, when—' A thought made her pause and look at Hermione. "'You were there too, Hermione Granger,' her eyes narrowed. "'And you're here tonight.' "'So I am,' her smile was thin. "'It's been a pleasure to see you again.' Hermione didn't mean it. "'Will you still participate in next season, Draco? "'I've missed seeing you at the events.' 
I have no reason to attend. What a shame, Olivia prattled on. I was looking forward to getting to know you better. The look she gave him was overly flirtatious. Hermione's grip tightened on her fork. I wasn't aware you knew each other at all. Pansy's snide comment earned her a look from Narcissa, which made her tilt her chin unapologetically. What? Draco never cared for society, and society never cared for him. That isn't true, Olivia pursed her lips. Just because you're not welcomed, because of your— I would choose my next words wisely if I were you. Pansy's voice was cold, and her eyes flickered to Percy as he whispered something in her ear. It only had the effect of slightly lowering her hackles. I don't know anything about society, Ron shrugged. Sounds boring. It can be, but it's the best way to find a match. Olivia smiled at Draco, and Hermione felt her lips pulling down into a frown. It depends on your place, your status, and your family. Draco Malfoy was guaranteed any witch that met his mother's strict approval. I was on that list. I think we would have made a good match. Hermione tapped her foot impatiently. Do you even... I no longer seek, care for, or need my mother's approval in those matters. Draco's words ended every side conversation. All eyes were on them. Olivia didn't recognize all the signs that pointed to the natural end of the conversation. Are you courting anyone? Is that why you've been pulled? Sorry for being so curious, but it's highly unusual to leave in the middle of a season, unless you're courting or engaged, neither of which I saw news of in the... And you won't. Draco's face was blank. Who I court isn't anyone's concern except mine and the woman of my choosing. Daphne smirked into her glass. That is most peculiar, another guest said, an older witch with silver hair who had decided to join in. Surely you understand your mother's importance in society, and that whoever you choose will directly reflect on her. She will inherit Narcissa's place. I do not think it is wise to consider your mother's wishes. Your family's reputation has just returned to its— I don't believe that's any of your concern. Draco sat up straighter, eyeing the woman. Narcissa cleared her throat. This is a premature conversation. Actually, it wasn't, but that was none of their business. Olivia! Narcissa changed the subject smoothly. How are your parents? The question led to a shift that lost Hermione's interest. Dinner concluded and dessert started. A dish that was so sweet, Hermione spent most of the final course picking at it. This is the best chocolate mousse cake. Don't you agree, Hermione Granger? It was the second time Olivia had said her full name, and her smile was beginning to go stale. It's... Hermione trailed off with a single glance at her half-eaten plate. It's a bit too decadent for my tastes. She made a small, arrogant noise. I suppose not everyone has such a fine palate. Isn't that right, Draco? Olivia turned to him, all smiles and batting eyelashes. It was clear she was only insulting Hermione to lure him into conversation. It wasn't working. Draco drank wine he hated instead of commenting. Even the finest dining can produce unpalatable meals. Hermione placed her fork down. Also, having too exact of a palate can lead to a very dull existence, I think. Versatility is important. What do you think, Draco? He looked at Hermione first, then went back to ignoring his dessert and Olivia by starting a conversation with Harry, who looked surprised. "'How long have you known Mrs. Zabini?' Hermione was genuinely curious. Olivia was the youngest of the guests she'd brought by at least two decades. "'A few months now. 
My father designed the robes for her gala in Milan. I hadn't been invited to one of her private dinner parties before, and put my port key to the Azores on hold for this impromptu event. Vacation? Chatting with Catherine had taught Hermione a little more about small talk. Yes. Then she looked back at Draco, who was watching his mother locked in another stalemate with Mrs. Zabini. I believe my vacation home is not far from one of the Malfoy's seventeen estates. Hermione only knew of three, and one was on fire. Isn't that right, Draco? You all have a home on the Azores, right? We do, but I haven't been there since I was a child. Oh, you and Narcissa should visit this time of year. It's, unfortunately, I work and my son has school. I'm certain you don't need to work. I assure you that I do. You can always leave your son behind with his nanny and tutor for a few weeks. Not an option. I'm not inclined to leave my son behind for frivolous purposes. Besides, I am currently seeking to enroll him in school. An actual school? There was a look of horror on Olivia's face. Hermione noticed several others wore the same expression when she looked around. Surely, Narcissa, my mother is not in charge of his education. Draco's expression was one that dared her to speak another word. I am. Several other guests still looked perplexed. I suppose that makes sense if you're planning to marry, Mrs. Sabini added. You'll be able to set the expectations for your wife when she takes over his... I have no plans to marry at this time. But should I, there won't be a need to set expectations, as I have no intentions of turning his care over to anyone. He is my son, and the woman I marry will be my wife. Her role in his life will be just as important. All decisions will be made together. That's a very progressive way of thinking. Olivia looked impressed. I'm surprised. The Malfoy family has always been very traditional. There's nothing wrong with tradition. Hermione surprised herself by actually speaking, and looked up only to find a few eyes on her. She glanced at Draco before addressing the others. I mean, some aspects I don't care for at all, but some aren't so bad. Narcissa's head tilted slightly. By definition, tradition represents all or some components of a culture that are passed down. Hermione shifted in her seat. I think the beauty is that it's fluid and prone to change, but it also serves as a link between the past and the present, as well as the hope of connection between the present and the future. That, Narcissa paused and found her words, that is an interesting way of putting it, Miss Granger. I've learned a few things in these past few months. So you have. The conversation around them moved on to shopping in Wizarding Milan. Olivia only stared at Draco, but didn't speak again for the rest of dessert. It wasn't until after the meal had concluded, when they all took to the outdoors for fireworks and further activities under moonlight, that she approached Draco, who looked like he was seriously considering jumping off the veranda. Hermione was talking to a supremely unamused Narcissa, Padma, and Pansy. The latter was sulking while drowning in Percy's jacket. They were all apologetic about the hostile takeover of dinner. "'I can't believe she's setting off fireworks. She knows what happened to us all, and—' Padma paused and glanced over to where Blaze was waiting for her. He brought a finger to his lips and tilted his head to the door. They were sneaking out. "'Go!' Pansy gave her a nudge, and they all watched as Blaze snuck her inside. "'Hermione, you should—' "'I'll be fine.' Or so she thought. "'I am still trying to determine what I saw in her.' 
Narcissa was frowning in the direction of Olivia, who was flirting with the side of Draco's face. He didn't look at her once, but Hermione felt her irritation spike. She is a bit of a social climbing bitch, Hansi interjected. You were single-minded about marrying him. The who didn't matter much as long as she was beautiful, from a wealthy family, and had a good reputation in society. That has always been how matches were made, but perhaps I should have asked for his preferences. Narcissa cringed when Olivia tried to get his attention by laughing too loudly at nothing. I better go, and actually, I had a question for him anyway. Hermione excused herself, drifting to the pair and ignoring the look she received. She gathered a few more eyes as she approached, including Draco's. Olivia didn't notice her presence until Hermione cleared her throat. "'Excuse me. I'd like a word with Draco?' The interruption wasn't welcomed. "'We were talking!' Draco stepped back, gestured in the opposite direction, and excused them both with a look. Hermione didn't glance back until they were on the opposite side of the veranda. Olivia was watching them, sulking at Blaze's mother's side. They were far enough away that conversation from the gathered group blurred into a single sound she couldn't pick up. "'What do you need?' Draco leaned back against the marble railing, folding his arms. "'Nothing. You looked like you needed rescuing before she got too familiar.' Hermione rolled her eyes. "'You know, she called herself the future Mrs. Malfoy when I met her.' "'Interesting. Do you really not remember her?' "'I do,' he admitted. "'But I'm a bit of a bastard.' Hermione shook her head in amusement. I'd say it's horrible of you to wound her ego like that, but I never liked how presumptuous she was. Future Mrs. Malfoy, she scoffed. What an... Granger. He paused and studied her for a moment as his smirk grew wider. Are you jealous? No. Not jealous, per se, but, well, each interaction decreased her tolerance for Olivia. Draco's eyebrows rose, but he said nothing more. Minutes passed in silence as they observed everyone from where they stood. It was a little... The thought didn't fully form before Draco draped his jacket over her shoulders. Thank you. He only nodded in response, and she found herself lulled into silence from his warmth. And maybe his scent, too. But Hermione kept that to herself. That was a change in stance for you about tradition. Draco's voice was close to her ear. Not so much a change as growth which just so happens to occur when one learns instead of assumes. Hmm. He didn't move, and she nearly squirmed, torn between putting space between them and leaning closer. It doesn't appear this evening has gone according to Pansy and my mother's plan. No, it hasn't, but I don't mind. Hermione looked down. I celebrated my birthday exactly as I wished. Maybe it hadn't been an official celebration, but her day out with him and Scorpius was all the celebration she needed. Hermione touched the locket she wore tonight, startling slightly when Draco whispered a silencing charm in her ear. His finger curled under her chin as he lifted her head to the sky just before the fireworks started. Together they watched a silent symphony of color and light. The late-night air was heavy and stiff, thick with a gloom that reminded her of the inevitable storm. Except there wasn't a cloud in the sky. The best way to describe the atmosphere was charged, with an electric expectancy. Hermione let the sound and energy wash over her as she stood at the water's edge, her home serving as the only source of light, taking in nothing and seeing everything. The whistling winds, the rush of water along the bank of a stream, the rustling of the leaves from the forest, 
birds chirping, and the hum of various critters in the lonely night. There was no moon visible in the sky to cast its ominous glow over everything. But beside her, Draco cast one of his own. It was time. He took her hand, and they walked a familiar path through the darkness. The contrast from the cool night to the warm greenhouse had Draco shedding layers and rolling his sleeves while she ventured further in. She was transfixed by how full and green everything was, and healthy, all while flowering and growing outside of season. Even the stubborn Dittany was thriving. She had the urge to expand, but kept it at bay. Bigger meant more responsibility, more time, a commitment. I'm torn. Draco's words pierced the silence. I always am when it comes to you. Torn between what? Coming closer or backing away. Hermione turned, despite all signs, to look ahead. At the foot of the almond tree, they faced each other, close but distant. As always, he watched, but there was something in his eyes that felt dangerous. It both warned her away and lured her in. It seemed they were the same in that regard. Trepidation beat the pounding rhythm of her heart. Fear etched itself in her actions. Is that why you've been... Partly. Draco took a step towards her, and she did the same. I told you I was nearly ready three months ago, that I was patient. But in the last month, I... It feels like a whiplash even I wasn't prepared for. I... Never mind. No, Hermione shook her head. We have to talk about this. I don't think you want that. Gray eyes looked off to the side before returning to hers. His face held a warning to tread lightly. So she did. Somewhat. I think we're at a place where we can be honest with each other, so I'll start by saying that I think you're upset by my comment. But I do like where we are right now. We're talking and spending time together. We're getting to know each other on a different level that I've told you more than anyone else. And sometimes I still don't think you understand me. The urge to charge forward and argue her point was only tempered by what she knew about him. You're right, and that points to my feelings about how we are now. We're learning each other. They were, much more than they had been. You keep things from me, Draco, and there's so much you don't like talking about. Like finding me, for starters. I respect your silence because I know why it exists. I know it was traumatizing for you. It was, but I'm handling it. I'll admit that I... Draco struggled for a moment, then recovered. His hands ghosted the curves of her dress that ultimately retreated. I'll admit the incident has a lot to do with my changing stance on us. Hermione frowned. Changing stance? I want you. The quiet ferocity in three words stopped her heart. If you don't know this already, I'm not sure how many ways I have to say it, or what I have to do to show my intent. Draco ran a frustrated hand in his hair. I'm a fool because you clearly don't know what you want or how you feel. I... I know exactly how I feel about you, how quickly I've gotten to this point, and I'm trying not to be rash. It's everything outside of how I feel about you that's complicated. I know that. We have to think about Scorpius. If this doesn't work, regardless of what happens, you've always kept his best interest in mind. And I always will, but... I heard what he called you in your memory. Hermione took a deep breath. She had been preparing for this moment. I had no idea that was his name for me. 
but he's not confusing me with Astoria. He just sees me as a mother figure. There's a difference between being a mother figure and stepping into that role on a more permanent basis. There's more for me to consider, for you to consider. We need to know what he thinks and how he feels. You're right. There's also the fact that your mother is my patient. Medical leave aside. I'm not accepting that excuse. I told you we'd cross that bridge when we got there. We crossed that bridge in September in an ornate chair. She held her breath, but Draco said nothing. Injury aside, I have a job, a career, and a duty. I have my own duties. In fact, you were the one who reminded me of them. Failure isn't an option, and the list of expectations is high, not just for us to succeed, but your mother's, in some aspects, I would be fulfilling them. Hermione shifted her weight and looked away. I'm not asking for your hand in marriage today, Granger. I'm asking you to weigh all these points and make a decision about us. I know what I want, and what I do know is that I need someone who is certain, who, after assessing the risks, thinks that I'm worth it. Draco looked away and never finished. I recognize it's not fair to have this conversation right now. It's been three months since I told you I was patient, one of which you have been focused on recovery. It's why I've been quiet, but you kept pushing for answers. I only pushed because you've been distant and frustrated, more with myself than you. I miscalculated my own patience. His fingertips scraped against hers. Resolve was found once again in a man who was quietly asking to be heard. I'm ready. Hermione took several measured breaths in the silence that followed his declaration. And a selfish moment has made me greedy. He released her hand. I thought I could do this. I thought I could continue on like this. But I can't when I want more. Everything. I'm willing to give it. I deserve it and I won't accept less. But you're not ready to give it. And I'm... I'm not sure if you can. Hermione turned the words over and over in her head, not looking at him, but past him as she calculated risk versus reward in the following second. The risk was almost too great, but the reward was... complicated. Unknown. We could try. Draco's jaw was set stern. Don't bullshit me, Granger. It's insulting. I'm not sure what else to do or say. Her chest tightened. I just don't want... I don't want your attempts if you are not decided. I don't want you to placate me. I don't want you to play a role. The words burned. You wanted honesty, and this is it. Draco was so close she could see his chest rise and fall with each breath. You don't have the space for us yet. Not the way I want, at least. Not the way I need. I'd rather you come to your own conclusions than to pull you along. I don't want to be a guess or a decision you make because you like where we are now. I know you well enough to know that if you say yes, it's at my behest and this decision has to be yours and yours alone. I want to be a choice. Your choice. You are. Hermione reached for his hand. It's just, you're asking for everything, and I, I'm allowed to think about it. I'm allowed to be afraid. I'm allowed to be not ready to make such a drastic change when I'm barely grasping scraps of normality as it is. You're giving me an ultimatum. This isn't an ultimatum. Even if you said you were ready right now, I wouldn't believe you. I've learned you need time and space, and I'm giving it to you. 
He squeezed her hand and let go again. I'm laying down my hand and stepping back. I'm not coming any closer until you decide. Which shut Hermione up. I... Draco ran a hand through his hair. I'd take everything as it is right now, like this. But I can't live another ten years wondering if... Draco, that's not... I had three tasks. He paused for breath. I was supposed to finish handling the threat against my family, eventually bury my mother, and raise my son. That was my future. Alone. I was fine not knowing the potential of what I could have, what we could have. But now I do, and I wanted enough to let you sort yourself out first. Hermione began to reach for him again, and fell short. Once twice. Three times before resting her hands on his arms, ignoring the pain. Draco's attention settled heavily on her. It's not... Hermione took a brave breath, voice thick with emotions as tears rolled down her cheeks. This is more than attraction. It's real. A lifetime of emotions wedged in just a few months. Draco moved, but not in the way she thought he would. Instead of retreating, he loomed closer, cupping her face in a way that made her hands fall limp. There was a moment when she saw beneath the vulnerability in his words, and into the place she had been trying to find all along, the core of who he was. There, she truly saw Draco Malfoy, and the man he was becoming right before her eyes. "'You're not ready.' His thumb stroked her cheek, wiping her tears, and all she could feel was her heart burning to ash. I wish you were, but I can be. I'm not forcing you to be sure. You were right when you said that by making Scorpius a priority, I would have to make myself one as well. And this was his first act, his decision. Nothing she could say would change his mind. Not tonight. And though the words to stop him were fresh on her lips, Hermione kept her love close, Rather than giving voice to a thought, her own hesitation and denial every step of the way wouldn't let him believe. Not yet. She touched his face, and quietly acknowledged they had never been nothing. For there to be nothing, there had to have existed traces of something from which the null could grow. They were well past something. The starting point. The truth of what they were was wedged in the everything between the spark and containment. Silence stretched from one beat to the next before Hermione gave a silent nod and kissed him. There it was, that dangerous urge to speak her heart and melt into the shadows with him. But in that moment, all she could do was pour every unspoken emotion into her kiss. They held each other tight, drinking each other in, one last breath before they went under. It was urgent and organic, honest acknowledgement of the depth and breadth passed back and forth with each breath need, want, warmth and emotion. So much of it she could barely see, but Hermione didn't care. She barely noticed, leaning into him and hugging him close in preparation to give Draco the space he needed, as well as stealing herself for her own task. His message had been loud and clear. Everything. Draco pulled away. The wall he'd been building was visible behind his eyes, and stronger than ever. When he left, the cold set in. Go bravely, go deeply, or do not go. Komua. <laughs>